I'm Mike Comite. And I'm Jacob Tender. Welcome back to Mantha Fodder. This is episode 37. Today, we are discussing chapters 12 through 14 of The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. Whenever you see chapters 12 through 14, it looks like there's only two episodes, but there's really three there. It's 12, 13, 14. So it looks like we're only reviewing two, but maybe that's just a mental thing for me. I also decided to switch to chapters instead of episodes because I hate saying season two, episode three, and having to remember all of that. It's a lot easier to remember the the chapter numbers and sort of put that in the sequence of the entire story rather than just this season. Yeah, I think also... It speaks to kind of the way the show is being made. Like when you, the idea that they're saying chapter what, chapter what, or like whatever, instead of like season whatever, it's, it sort of indicates that like there's no big arc for each season. I mean, sure, we get places, but if you look at it, really, there's no episode that's like more tumultuous than any other, like no, no more like epic than any other. I think if, especially today, you're going to see that like you're getting a lot happening in every episode. Um, and so even episodes that were like, you know, more monster of the week last season or last, I don't know, in the earlier chapters is if you want to say it that way, yeah. um, you probably, yeah. The, the only differentiation between seasons is really the production schedule. I feel like, yeah, I guess you're, you're right on that. Like season one didn't really have its own arc. It just, you know, it, it told sections of a story that continue on in season two. It definitely came to a head, you know, at the end of chapter uh, 10. No, no, chapter 8, right? Because it's eight, eight chapter seasons-ish or whatever. Um, you know, like that last thing with the reveal of the Darksaber in chapter 8 and, you know, Moff Gideon coming out of that TIE fighter, you know. <sighs> it's it sort of, it, it. I guess it does come to a head, um, but it, it's more of a cliffhanger than anything because it doesn't really, it, nothing is final at the end of the season. You know, it's not like a season of Dexter where Don't don't spoil the end of Dexter for me. I'm not going to spoil the end of Dexter, but you know what I mean? Okay. It's not like any like Showtime HBO sort of series where each okay. season kind of has its its ending and then it, it it moves on and maybe like there are still through lines, but it sort of tells a self-contained story. Like I feel like, you know, if they did a 16 episode season, it wouldn't feel like, oh, episode 8 really feels like it should have been its own thing. That shouldn't have been the ending of season 1. They do give a directive, you know, like that whole like, oh, you must take the child to be with its own kind. So, like, it's sort of like, yeah. okay, we finished this part of you just wandering aimlessly with the child. Yeah. I guess to me it doesn't, like, even though he did sort of have that mandate, it still doesn't feel any different than the rest of the first season because he yeah, was still like, just caring for it and, you know, carrying it along with him the entire time, and that hasn't changed. It's very questy. You know, like, I yeah. mean, at the end of the last episode, we talked about Bo-Katan telling the Mandalorian to go to find Sokotano, and that's pretty much the same thing as his Mandalorian leader being like, you must take the child to be with his own kind, seek the Jedi, right? like, seek other Mandalorians. It's, it's very questy video gamey and unnecessary right because he made the decision on his own in season one to save that kid like nobody told right. him to save the kid in fact he was going against his you know his previous quest to to do that like he he sort of broke his own code because he personally felt that was the right thing to do and then he got this mandate and that sort of justified his actions in some way and so that he's like carrying on with that in mind but it doesn't make any difference like i whether you know he met the armor and got that quest or not, I feel like he would still be caring for this kid. 
Yeah, completely. Like it's, I don't even know why he went back to his like colony. It seems like he just messed them up. Like he led the Imperials right to them and destroyed right. his faction. Right. Yeah, I mean that was the consequence of of his actions, and as Why a result he of that, he had though? to like make it right with this new foundling, as as it's now referred to. And again, like I, I think calling it a foundling and treating it as such is just a justification for what he's already, you know, sort of doing. I see. Yeah, we talked about the first three episodes. Um, is there anything? on those first three that we want to kind of revisit or recap or debrief on before we move into the next three, any of the, our, our guesses that maybe we got wrong. And there's a lot of things we got wrong, but we're going to get to them when we get to our episodes. Okay. Like there are things that I asserted that you countered and that you were right on. And I don't think there's anything I was right on. So we'll just get to, <laughs> we'll, we'll admit that you were right in certain parts. So don't really worry too much about that. Okay. Um, okay so chapter 12, the siege directed by Mr. Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers is, is fine. Like I, I think he's probably directed some things in the past. Uh, I'm not familiar with his filmography in that way, but it, it's cool that they're giving that opportunity to members of the cast. This show has a very diverse um, cast of directors. If you watch like the, the Mandalorian gallery series on Disney plus, you get some really good insights on exactly how all those people work. And it's pretty cool. I, I like the range that they all have and they all produce, you know, very different episodes. And that sort of lends itself to that monster of the week chapter eyes sort of thing. But it's cool because you get, as a result of it, more diverse episodes. So it's cool. I'm glad Carl Weathers did this. I actually thought this was kind of a cool episode. Yeah, I mean, surprisingly, not even, it, it was not my least favorite of these three that we're about to talk about. I mean, if you look at Carl Weathers' directorial credits, he's got The Mandalorian, obviously. He's got Hawaii Five-0, uh, A Burger and a Bullet. Like, n a lot of TV series. Like, he does does one episode. The, the, most director, uh -huh. the most director credits he has in one series is, like, this show called Sheena from 2001. He's got five episodes of that. He's got eight episodes of the show called Silk Stockings. <laughs> and, but that, that's it, really, you okay. know? Um, he has even less producing credits, which is just to say that, like, you know, he, he picks and chooses when he gets to direct, but he does a great job when he does. And I don't really know what the deal is with, like, celebrity or, like, yeah. actors directing one-offs of their TV shows. Like, there are a bunch of the Mad Men actors got to direct like John Hamm did a couple episodes. I know John Slattery did some and I'm sure other actors on that show got to direct certain episodes. So like it's something that's not uncommon for someone to do like an actor on the show to get to direct it. But like, I don't know what the process is. Like if they have hands being held during that process, are the show's creators as Favreau kind of like being like, okay, well, Carl, like maybe what if we did this, you know? And <laughs> yeah, you know, I there's no doubt in my mind that if you interviewed Favreau, by they'd be like, no, he'd be like, no, Carl was all in, all great in his own, and it t could be totally true. But just the thing I wonder, you know, like my curiosities on on the directorial process. Yeah, I know very little about it, and I I, I would imagine, you know, with a show like this, they have pretty detailed scripts, and so a lot mm -hmm. goes into that, you know, pre-production stuff, and I yeah. think that probably helps. Um, so. I don't know. I, I thought like the shot setup on this this episode was really good. Like I don't I don't know why we're dissecting Carl Weathers directing chops so much, but <laughs> no. I mean I I'm surprised by it because I just haven't seen anything else he's done. It's like yeah. you know if, t if you tell me Dave Filoni's directing, if you tell me John Favreau's directing, I'm obviously going to be like okay Iron Man or like old Clone Wars episodes or just like I'm going to have 
something to compare it to. Like we, right. Aaron and I watched this movie, Uncle Frank, the other night. Paul Bettany was the lead in it. And we were just like, oh, that guy's from Six Feet Under. And and Aaron's like, oh, that shot looks like Six Feet Under. And I'm like, well, who directed and wrote the movie we're watching? <laughs> and she's like, this guy named Alan Ball or something? And I looked it up and he's like, he did Six Feet Under. And his, oh, okay. you know, his partner is this actor from Six Feet Under. So like, it's very right. clear why we're seeing so much Six Feet Under in this. And so like, I want to know what I'm looking for, I guess, when I watch a movie. So like, I usually want to know, the second I start any TV show or movie, I want to know what the person who made it did. Not just the actors, but like the directors and the writers, because I want to know what to expect. And that's not to say like, I need more of the same by them. It's just like, I need to know if we're coming from like a background of, I don't know, you know what to get, you know what to expect when you're doing a Scorsese thing. You know what to expect when you're doing like a Shane Black thing. Right. You know what to expect when you're doing like a Greta Gerwig thing. Yeah. And that's not to say none of those directors can surprise you, but it's just something you want to know going in, or I want to know, I should say. We know Carl Weathers is a great science fiction and action star. Um, we know that he makes a great stew. We don't know necessarily <laughs> that he's a great director, but it turns out he is. Yeah. I mean, this was by all means my uh, second favorite episode of oh. this trio. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, of this, yeah. of these specific three. Gotcha. Of this trio. Yeah. I mean, like, it was pretty high up there with the other ones too. Like, I think I probably liked it more than the season premiere, I think, or like the wow, really? chapter. Chapter nine, yeah. I mean, it's close because the action at the end was so good with the and the great dragon, you know, really really sways it in that scale. But it's close. It's a close cut. Like I just think this one. I mean, okay. Anyway, let's 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 get into it. Um, yeah. I I like this thing that they they started doing, and I, I guess I don't really remember when it started, but I, I know that I recognized it here, and it's that the beginning of every episode now sort of features Mando and the child bonding. We're seeing more and more of that. And so like the opening scene of every episode now sort of has that that little moment of just the two of them before any of the action happens, just sort of being themselves as a pair. And in this one, they start the episode with the Mandalorian and the child working on ship repairs while in flight. And the child is sort of like in this duct holding wires and the Mandalorian is trying to instruct him on where to plug these wires in. And it's hilarious because it, it's cute. Like their their bond is obviously growing, but we're getting some usefulness out of the kid now, or at least that's the intent. Like the idea is that the kid is trying to be useful or that Mandalorian is trying to make him useful. And I just thought that was, uh, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was a really fun way to open the episode. It shows that their bond is growing and that plays into the next couple episodes really strongly. I think that that function is definitely strong and very apparent and uh, very useful and very fun to watch. But I do have, it does raise a lot of questions for me, this scene in general. I mean, the, the scene that we're looking at is we have the Mandalorian in his cockpit and the child in this like crawl space really far back plugging in those wires. And the Mandalorian obviously can't fit in there and tell him or point or really anything. So all I can do is call to the child and while watching his actions. And that implies that like, okay, speech is the primary way he's directing him here. But would you take like an infant and put them in a crawl space and be like, okay, now plug the blue wire and like start speaking to them. So this this implies to me that the child understands speech yeah. in a way that's different than like a dog understands speech. Because like, uh -huh. you know, a dog knows that when it hears its name, it's about to get a treat or something like that, or that it's being commanded to do something in order to get a treat. So that's how a dog learns its name and, and it becomes familiar. And it, it, but you can't tell a dog like, okay, plug this thing in over there. You know, you can train it to do in action with a certain combination of words for sure. There's amazing things you can do with dogs, but like you can't, if it's getting it wrong, you can be like, no, 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 don't do it that way. Turn <laughs> upside down. Like a dog 
isn't going to be able to understand that. But he's talking to the child as if he understands regular speech, which is not sure. a problem in itself. It becomes a problem to me when you're like, okay, so if the child can understand speech and can make corrections based on what it's being told to with specific directions, it definitely should have known not to eat those friggin' eggs from the last episode. <laughs> like, there's no way that that child, if it, like, he would understand. If the Mandalorian's like, do not eat these eggs, don't eat them. You're murdering unborn <laughs> species like you're ruining this ch- species chanted survival well that could just be a philosophical difference you know like right it's, it's that's possible what I'm that the baby could understand and not the baby care. is a like, sociopath <laughs> we all the yoda's always been a little bit off but you know a baby yoda should understand that like it's not okay to eat these eggs if he's not like is he a dog just eating like random things off the ground or uh-huh. is he like a child not really knowing and understanding speech and just yeah. not and just seeing like, oh, he's mad when I do this, but I really like these things, so I'm gonna keep eating it. Or is he like, oh, I can plug these wires in. Also, I enjoyed eating those unborn creatures, like or those unfertilized eggs. Right. So the the big question is like, what is the developmental cycle like for the species? We know that they age slowly, but you know, mentally, how quickly are they developed? The kid is 50 years old. Does it have the the mental capacity of a 50-year-old person? It doesn't really seem like it. It does still sort of act like an infant. Um, but is that cognition there? Well, it, and it can't speak. That's Yoda true. learned how to speak eventually. So, But do you think that could be explained away by, like, development of vocal cords? Like, uh, some sort of physical Yeah, limitation? I mean, it could be a species thing. Like, it, definitely. But it's really, really confusing to me to just be like... I mean, how old was Yoda when he died? 900 or... How you keep asking me this question. One of these days, I'll actually look it up. <laughs> when he died. Yoda was 900 when he died. What is the relativity of that? Like 90 to 5, basically. So the if, if Yoda was 90 when he died and baby Yoda is 5, I would still think the cognition would be there to start speaking if you're looking at a human. But it's a totally different species. You're right. So it could be a vocal cord thing. But at the same time, then the cognition, if the cognition's there, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just like, is there a language barrier? Is like, he just speaking, they're just speaking different languages, maybe? Like, I mean, Grogu can communicate with Ahsoka, so like, they I'm can- sorry, Grogu? I don't think we've gotten to that episode, oh, Mike. Okay. I'm I'm sorry. I, they've just adjusted my brain so much. I've, I've been conditioned. Anyway, we'll get there. So the child is, um, is learning and- the child can understand the Mandalorian, in my opinion, and he is a sociopath. Moving on. Uh, we, we then kind of switch tracks and we get the focus now on Cara Dune and, or Cara Dune. Is it Cara? Cara Dune? That seems right. And she she takes care of a squad of a Qualish, uh, Squadish, if you will. And she's, it, it seems like she's back in like the, the underground of whatever planet that is that, you know, she, uh, Carl Weathers is from where the whole series began, where the Mandalorians were hiding out in those tunnels. Um, She's in there cleaning out the trash. She with the puppet, a little puppet creature, the creepy rat. Yeah, I it's love so it. creepy. It was so weird. I don't know. It was. It did seem very Rizzo to me. Yeah, I mean, they have it like it's very clearly like a sock puppet on her shoulder at one point. You know, just like yeah. somebody's. They're like either keying out somebody like standing like in a green screen suit behind them with like a sock puppet critter on her shoulder or something. It was very Muppets, and I loved it. Yeah, like um, I, I, I love any sort of Muppetish Jim Henson kind of creature is totally up my alley um but it was weird did it even reappear later in the it did at the end she kept feeding it at the end i don't know what i don't know what they're trying to tell us is that she's like she's not that hardened is that what they're trying to show us with this yeah that could be 
That could be. I mean, yes, yeah, she, she goes down there. Like she, she has kicks a, ass. She has a she's soft really spot. Tough, but she also has like a soft spot for critters and gives it like a candy bar or something. Is it supposed to show us that she's a good guy and that's why she joins the rebellion at the end or the new Republic? Like, it's really weird to me that they need to like show us that she's a good person with the critters. I think it's more or less just a fun thing. Sure. I think we're already getting the vibe that she's loyal, but I, I think they wanted to take that a little bit further and say, it's not like she's just loyal because she has military training. Um, she's yeah. loyal because she cares about at least some people. Right. In chapter 14, they really, they cross that T really pretty clearly. Um, yeah. But why is she even, why is she taking stuff from the Aqualish people? It looks like these are just thieves. I think she even said something to the effect of like, I have to make sure this stuff gets back to who it belongs to. You know, this oh, she's like talking stolen. to the critter. That's right. See, like yeah. this is this is like her delivery is so it's exposition. Yeah, it's like very expository dialogue. But like it's to me, it's also she's talking to the critter, and I, I really find myself, I don't like that I, am critical of her acting abilities. But like, I do, I don't buy a lot of what she says in this. Yeah, and I think you could say the same thing about Carl Weathers in certain scenes. So I really, I, I'm very hesitant to critique that stuff. Carl Weathers is in a position where he's acted more or less the same way for so right. long and become a character yeah. of himself if you're familiar with Arrested Development that it's just yeah. okay and so you're getting Carl Weathers for Carl Weathers and it's not because like he's a phenomenal thespian right it's because he brings that tone but Cara Dune's not like delivering her lines any better than Pedro Pascal is you know like if anything I'd say Pedro Pascal probably delivers it on par like with the same kind of flat level and like I believe that I believe them Almost as a little. The only thing that sells Pedro Pascal's character, the Mandalorian, is that you can't see his face. So, like any flat delivery, you're like, and he, and he's supposed to be like this rigid militaristic soldier, and you're seeing like cracks in his armor when he's like showing affection towards the child. Like, so it's just the, it, a weird. It's a double standard. I understand, and I want to be aware of that. <laughs> At the same time, it's just like. You know, her just talking to the critter being like, I got to take this back to my friends. It's like, I, what are we watching? You know, like what kind yeah. of, I don't know. Like you, you just wouldn't, I don't know. It's just not very. The Cara Dune story just isn't there for me yet. Like there's nothing, like all she has for backstory is that she came from the rebellion and, and that's just kind of it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't care about her yet. You know what I mean? Like there isn't anything that like really makes me, um. Attached. Yeah, I mean, is is it better than Luke like talking to a droid? You know, like when he's going to Dagobah for the first time after Hoth. Like, is it is it? I don't no. think it is. I don't think it's worse or better. Like, you know, I think it's the same. And I, I just want to be aware that like people that, including myself, that are feeling like they need to say something about her acting is or like very much need to examine themselves. And I, I think in the original movie, like with with Luke and the droids, he's it's showing us that one, he's lonely and he feels stuck right he's he's so lonely he's talking to droids but also that she that he is talking to he's talking to droids and droids can communicate back it's supposed to humanize those droids in a way that like makes us attached to them which worked because they are like the definition of droid in star wars now is defined on that characteristic these are not just like beep boop robots you know these robots have personality so i I think that was the point there and that's probably the only like difference i would i would draw between those two scenes because you're right like it is it tells us a little bit about her personality, um, but I don't think it's supposed to make us like rats more. It's really like, it's very Disney in the sense that like, you know, a princess is talking to animals or like inanimate, like, or even any character talking to like forest animals that are really just responding anthropomorphically and not on a verbal level. Like you, 
it's just a, a thing that you don't see too much in Star Wars. You know, like, you know, Han Solo probably curses out his Tauntaun in Empire, I guess. Uh-huh. I'm trying to think, like, nobody's yelling at the Minox. They're not, like, they don't have eyes, you know, like, so you can't really commute, like, you know, make them, like, a cute creature. I'm trying to think of, like, cute animals in Star, in Star Wars that, like, people that, that bond with humans. And, like, Chewbacca is clearly a sentient being that communicates and talks back, you know. There's a lot in, like, the animated to. series, I would say, specifically. Sure, models, I like, guess, yeah. cats and things like that. Yeah, I get that. So I I don't know it's just it's just it's a weird it's it's another one of those genre things that is being changed. I think that's probably the reason why I have it I it's it's you're seeing these new elements of Star Wars again and stuff that you're not used to. So we're not used to like this weird goofy stuff happening and like first of all you're not like super well aware of like female characters in general. Like you don't have so I feel like, you know, you have Ray talking to BB-8 on the Sands of Jakku in the beginning and they're communicating, but is it, you know, like there's very, you know, there's very few examples of these things that we get to see. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's a moment that you really need to reflect on if you're, if you're thinking about these things and I'm not, I'm not right for doing that. So anyway. So uh, I guess the, the, the next significant thing, like the Mando appears on the planet with the child, they land. Why is he back uh, again? Like I'm at. Well, he needs he needs she repairs, help, right? I guess he needs repairs. Oh yeah, he he, he think... did say that because they weren't going to make it to wherever they were trying to go, so they need to stop off here for repairs. Yeah, like and because in the last episode, he um, the ship was rebuilt by um, the people on the water planet or whatever. It was a Mon Calamari, wasn't he? And they did a terrible job. Like it was being held together by bungee cords. <laughs> Basically, yeah. So that and. So he got to, he needed to get his ship fixed up and he like, you know, they are really grateful to him for whatever he did last time. And cause now Carl Weathers is like running the town again. He's turned his life around. You know, he's, he's very much like kind of a, like a Lando Calrissian type, you know, where he's, you know, he was a roguish person, like paying bounty hunters to hunt people down. And now he's like a beloved benefactor of this town. And, uh, is Cara Dune's in her, Cara Dune is the, his employee. At this point, uh, no, she's she's sort of become the the sheriff, marshal, like yeah. the sheriff of, of this community. Um, they're cleaning stuff up together. That seems clear. What is Horatio Sands' character's name? I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't remember. I wrote in the notes here that Mando, Dune, Karga, and Horatio Sands go on an adventure. So my issue is with with Horatio Sands' character it goes back to the same as the first episode, which is that I think he's just bar from space balls uh, it's it's very weird in star wars to see a humanoid you know like we, we have mon calamari which are just clearly giant fish creatures we have a uh, quarren who uh, you know they're humanoid you know they walk upright have four limbs but their faces are very clearly like you that is not a human um this is like very human in its expressions it's not even like a chiss you know like it's like Thrawn is like, you know, Thrawn is humanoid, but he's blue and he's got these red eyes and he doesn't really behave like a human all the time. He's very emotionless in a lot of his behaviors. Spockish? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, he's very, it's like the difference between a Vulcan and a human in Star Trek. And yeah. in this, you really just, you have no behavioral difference in whatever Horatio is playing or whoever he's playing. And to me, that just is like, I feel like I'm just watching John Candy in Spaceballs because he's just a man in a dog suit, basically. 
I don't know. It, it seems intentional too, to a degree. Yeah, no, I totally get that. He's he's there for comic relief, right? Like this is for a sure. comedic actor who is playing sort of a, a, a dopey role. He's just there for a couple of punchlines and to kind of get kicked around a little bit. And that's fine. I th- You need that because you have these three characters well, who are just very straight <laughs> mando no expression well it is weird like what's his function like what what like why did he need to be there he drove the speeder and he really uh-huh. just needed to be there like you said to be kicked around by carl weathers and like yeah like you better wait for me or i'll like i'll you know i'll take a 20 years off your life sentence or whatever and he's like oh okay well then i'll stay here it's like why not just three of them drive a speeder and get there on their own right it would be one thing if he was the getaway driver but they took him inside you know yeah it, it was just like a it was just a weird i think it's really just they wanted to hit like the director thought it would be fun i I think there's got it's like we think of uh, maybe i think of this script as too functional or like as as how to make the script more functional and like i think you know car weathers and whoever else like was in development on this show whoever wrote it was like they just want to have fun and that's a thing to me that I probably should probably open up more to is the idea that these things should just be fun and you should have fun characters. This is what you wanted, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. Like I wanted an Ace Ventura romp and it's just like, but it's at the same time, it's like, you know, we get like whippersnapper droids all the time. Like C-3PO is very not human. He's a very distinct character. Um, even in like the video games, you have like the hunter killer droids that be- join your party in like KOTOR or whatever that have like very distinct personalities. And I guess Horatio has his distinct personality on this, so you can't slight it for that. It just, to me, it's just, it's not as fun. It's, it's just more like, I don't know, corny lines, I guess. And yeah, it's not like he has a big personality, you know, it's not like this is a comedic and he doesn't save the day. series he just because drives he's not there. that big of a, a character. He's just, he's there. You're right. He is very barfish. Like he's there for comedic value. He's there to get pushed around and to do the work. There's just not a lot of like physical comedy. Like with barf, you had like the tail has a mind of its own and he's like, <laughs> I'm a mog. And like, you know, it's clearly a yeah. parody of Chewbacca and like this, it's like, he inks himself, I guess. So there's the physical <laughs> comedy there. Like he, he does like the kind yeah. of like he gets scared and he just like, I don't know, basically his gills or something like that. I don't know how to, how to put it. Yeah. And like he, I, I like that. Like he requires moisture and, and that's, that's all fun. Like there is thought to this character. It's not like he's Very just like dude. a mindless addition. Um, but yeah, I, I, I dig it. I, I think it's fun. He's a fun ad. I was actually glad to see him come back. I kind of forgot about his character because he's he was in the first episode, right? That was sort of that was like the opening of the show. Yeah, was, and he just he got dropped around. off, like he got frozen, and then apparently brought to Carga, uh, right? Yeah. So I guess we, before we actually get to that mission that the four of them go on, I, I just want to briefly touch on that fun little scene with the kid in school because he sort of gets dropped off to, um, you know basically free babysitting at the local school and yeah. he's just putting like a, a normal desk uh it's being taught by a protocol droid and of course like the kid is constantly hungry so he sees this other kid who has what are basically like uh what are those called like macaroons or, or whatever like the little colorful cookies yeah like a macaron yeah and so he uses his force abilities to steal some kids snacks and it's just so funny like they're they're just they're really good at giving this puppet personality. And a lot of that goes into, you know, the actual animatronic work that they did to give the kid expressions, even the sounds and real movement and like tangibility, like the tangibility, the eye movement. It's like, it's all there. It's exactly what we would want from like a a puppet, you know, like 
it's it's what you can't get with CGI. It's like there's no uncanniness to it. It's weird looking, and like you can, I guess, in in your heart of hearts, you know it's a, a puppet because it just can't be. But at the same time, it just the idea that it's really there and moving in in like ninety percent of the shots is just so helpful. And like, because when it switches to CG in in the later chapters that we're going to talk about, you know, it's very apparent in the way it moves and like in right. the way it interacts with the scenery. It's, it's so I don't know, just having it there. It's just it just you know, I would watch a whole episode with no dialogue and just Baby Yoda kind of having an adventure or whatever. Like, that needs to happen. If this were a Pixar franchise, you could have an entire Pixar short just for Baby Yoda. Like, it could be the thing before the movie. Sure. So I have another issue with this school scene. Okay. <laughs> you know, I have a lot of issues in general, but... Yeah, pick it apart. Okay, so it's... um. It's, again, about the waffling of the Mandalorian. Okay. You know, you have this... Like, he... Like he I, you're just starting to see that he's not like as hardened of a soldier again. Like, and I don't know if it's a child softening him, but in this case, it's not the child softening him. It's Cardoon. Like, she's like very much, you know, like he'll, like we'll leave the bill, we'll leave him in this classroom. You have my word; he'll be safe here. And like, if you have like a militaristic mindset, like you don't make concessions like that, and like, or you do so at like great protest. You know, it's like the child stays with me wherever I go. And it's like, well, you just dragged him around on this f- planet. Like you, he got eaten. You brought him onto a ship and it got eaten by a, like a, almost got eaten by a sea monster, a female Quarren, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know, like you're willing to take this thing anywhere, but you're like, it's, it's like, okay, I guess it's a classroom. I'll leave it here. It's fine. But like, at what point do you, are you just like fool me once or fool me twice? Yeah, it is it is strange the things that he's like adamant about, right? And he's he he's unmoving on the fact that Mandalorian iron belongs with Mandalorians, whether that be armor or a pike. That is like a thing that he will not budge on. But he's having to come to terms with the fact that he doesn't have his people anymore. Like his whole clan was basically wiped out. He's still looking for more Mandalorians. He met some in the last episode, but they were a little bit different than than uh, he was used to. And he had to come to terms with that. So he's he's realizing that like the Mandalorian code that he follows is fine. He can still follow that as his credo. But he needs to be able to trust some other people. And so I think that's what comes into play here. Like he has to, he, he has to trust Karga and he has to trust Dune and they've proven in the past that they are worthy of his trust. And I think that's what's happening here. Like he has to put some faith into something because otherwise like he can't do it on his own. And he knows that because he's almost failed on his own many times and he's had to be rescued. We talked about that at great length in our, our last episode on the Mandalorian. So I think that's what's happening here. He just really has to, come to the terms with the fact that he can't be a lone wolf all the time he needs help it's nice yeah it, it's fine it just again it goes into the whole you know the badassery i guess that is slowly getting picked apart and at what point does he realize that like i don't know i guess nothing did happen and caradoon right. gave her word and she wasn't wrong about that they came back and baby yoda was fine um, but it, it's, it's, yeah, it's just a weird kind of, I just don't get it. I, I have a hard time understanding who he is as a character a lot, you know, um, with his actions and his words. And is he like as smart as we want him to think, I guess, is kind of my 
my thing. And I, I guess, you know, kind of going against your instincts doesn't make you not smart sometimes, but it does when, like, he just keeps getting into trouble. He, he's, like, backstabbed on every planet he goes to and gets into way over his head. It's like every episode, it's like, let's go do this thing and find this person. Oh, turns out this person wants me dead, and the galaxy's a tough place. I get it. Hey, no, no, uh, no disagreeing there, but it's like you just keep... Maybe that is what gets him to leave it there. Maybe he looks at this classroom and is like, you know what? Every time I go do something crazy, it gets crazy and I jeopardize <laughs> the kid. So maybe this time the child is staying with me. Okay, I, I've, I've just climbed the mental hurdle in my head. Thank you for helping me through this, Jacob. I appreciate it very much. He I just mean, realized how stupid he's been the entire thing. I'm mad when he takes it with him and I'm mad when he doesn't take it with him. I really can't. I, I should, I'm not qualified yeah. to be a critic on this. Like, this isn't the first time the kids had a babysitter. He left it with the frog people in the last episode. Yeah, I mean, he's, he did it with Amy Sedaris, too. Yes, yeah. Like, he, he knows he can't keep it with it all the time, and he, he knows if he leaves it alone, it's going to get into trouble. But then so. after, but the whole thing was like, you know, the child stays with you, which was his directive in Chapter 8, right? So, like, he's sort of waffling between his, his, his you know, uh, fidelity to that command or whatever versus, like, common sense, which is don't take the child on the boat, you know, <laughs> leave it with the frog people. Yeah. So he leaves, he leaves the kid behind, and... He goes on this little mission because now Dune and Karya need his help in order to clear out this forward operating base that's on this planet. They think it's just a couple of stragglers, that it's not really like a, a, a stronghold per se, but they need it cleared out so they can really make the planet free from occupation in any regard. It seems like they've done a lot to clean up the community, but this is like the last vestige of the Empire that remains. And if they can clear it out, then they think the Empire will stay away for good. That's the mission. It changes though, because as the, you know, I think we can kind of gloss through most of it because yeah, they they break in, they intend to shut down the core because of course it's built on like lava. So the plan is just to blow it and get out of there. As is familiar <laughs> in the Star Wars franchise, like that is something that happens in just about everything. Blow it from the inside and and head home. Yeah. But it turns out this is not a forward operating base, it's a lab. And it has a cloning chamber. And I, I think it's important to take a look at what's in these clone pods and speculate on what it is. Because I I have a gut feeling. I've talked to some other people who have gut feelings a different way. But I'm really curious, like, what or who do you think is floating in these pods? I couldn't see it until you sent me a high-quality screenshot of it. Like, it was too dark. Yeah. And, like, even if I rewound it, on the stream uh, on Disney plus, I was like, that looks, um, okay. Like, I, I guess that looks like a big floating object or they're growing something in there. Is it like, is it an alien? Is it like, are these prisoners? Are these something else? Um, I really couldn't tell. Um, but when you sent me the screenshot, I just assumed it was Snoke. Okay. See, I think that's interesting. And other people that I've talked to also think that it could be Snoke or Palpatine. And I'm like, but which is it? Cause I, I think the order matters, right? I think, Personally, I, I think it's Palpatine. I think that that is the whole point of this lab. It's to clone their fallen emperor. And that makes the most logical sense to me. Because in The Rise of Skywalker, we see cloning chambers with Snokes. Like pickled Snokes, I think we refer to them as. And it wouldn't make sense for them to be continuously failing at creating this Snoke being that ended up being a puppet of Palpatine. So... It follows for me that Palpatine would be the goal. Like, that's what they're trying to do here. And 
we know that they need blood donor that has a high midichlorian count. And that's what they want the kid for, because obviously the kid is from a species that is very strong in the forest, probably has a massive M count. And that's, that's the point. Like that's the whole reason the empire wants this kid to further this cloning technology to get the emperor back up and running. And I think the lessons that they're, they're learning from this will play into the creation of Snoke later on. But I, I have a hard time believing that what's floating in these chambers is anything but the result of some DNA that they were able to save from Palpatine for a cloning process. Maybe like, I don't, I, I don't know that there's any way to, to know until they tell us it's kind of like a, I mean, the Snokes had to come from somewhere timeline wise. how far are we past return of the Jedi? Like how after, how far after Endor are we in the Mandalorian? Yeah, so like the I know the events of The Mandalorian takes place five years after Rebels ends. Hey everyone, Jake here. Just popping in with a quick correction. The events of The Mandalorian take place in 9 ABY, which means nine years after Star Wars and the animated Rebels series, and five years after Return of the Jedi. Sorry about that. It's like Ben Solo is not born yet, right? Um, he could be like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know when, cause Ben is born in bloodline when the new Republic is being built. He's at home, right? Or is he, he's off with Luke. The reason I was saying this is because, you know, Ben Solo is probably of, of like teenage years before like he starts getting seduced by Snoke or whatever. So we know Snoke exists, you know, within 10 or so years after Endor, whenever Ben Solo is born. I don't, I don't know the exact timeline. Well, I guess so. I think force awakens takes place. 30 years after Jedi. Okay. So like, but so do you think, so if, so, I mean, we can probably reason this out to say that it is Palpatine then if it's, cause if, if Palpatine says I made Snoke, you know, right. in rise of Skywalker, yeah. then is it, are, you know, like he could be speaking in like the Royal eye, you know, where he's saying like the empire, like sure. the, the first order, the final order made Snoke. And like, he has the whole pickled Snoke jar. So there's yeah. a bunch of discards you know, so the question is, like, are these the discards? Are these a bunch of, like, proto-Snokes yeah, that are being made? Or are these the Empire, the Emperor that are about to, you know, then, in the years after he's cloned, make the Snokes? I think this is the beginning of that process, right? Like, right. what we know from the books and, and some of the other media that we've taken in during the same time period after the fall of the Empire, we have people that are trying to maintain the illusion that the Emperor is still alive. So you have the Emperor's sure. hand and, like, all of these fake hollows that are keeping that idea alive um to i i don't know like they've they've fallen at such a point like it's not like it's really inducing fear but i guess for those that are still loyal it would inspire that loyalty to remain and so i think they're rushing to try to get the emperor back in some capacity and like we there doesn't seem to be any uh indication that existing cloning technology has the ability to retain memory <laughs> of the person that they're, they're cloning but I think that's what's happening here. And we're getting failures because they don't have enough blood that has an M count. They have that cloning technology. Obviously we know that exists. They are able to probably get that from Camino. Like they have that, but it's much different to clone somebody who's um, strong in the force. And so I'm kind of interested there. Like who, who is directing this? Like obviously they, obviously the person who is, is directing the cloning of the emperor. Carl Weathers is directing this. Very funny. You know, Gideon or whoever is above Gideon that is making this this operation happen, who is invested in including the Emperor, knows that the Emperor was Sith, right? And that was something that was still sort of hidden from 
the masses uh, over time. Like he was just Emperor Palpatine. He was not Darth Sidious to the masses. That's why they built the big scary machines to scare people, like to sort of hide the fact that he was this like Sith monster. So somebody knew that, and they're the ones who directed this cloning process, assuming that we're correct in that this is Palpatine. But I think that follows, and that's what makes the most sense to me. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I <laughs> no think <argument>. there's, I think, <laughs> no, no argument. No, I think, like, we came to the conclusion, I feel like there's this really strong argument, t- like, timeline-wise, that it's Palpatine. And I, like, I don't think there's any way to know. I don't think there's any way to really say one way or the other. Um who is like you know who is the right or wrong like like until they tell us you know right. until there's a definitive answer um but but i think palpatine is pretty strong you know like we don't we don't really know we don't know anything about palpatine between jedi and rise of skywalker like that that is the gap where we see him on screen what we sort of conclude with the rise of skywalker was that he was behind the whole first order from the start right if he made snoke and snoke was sort of the de facto leader of this new empire that formed from the ashes of the old one, then it would make sense to me that at some point in those intervening 30 years, the emperor was successfully cloned. And sure. So this, this, this being the early stages of that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. It just seems like it's not as um, like, like the Sith acolytes, like you would have think you would have thought those are the ones behind this and everything. And like, there's like, I mean, there's a whole on Exegol, there's like a whole, disgusting laboratory underground with a bunch of weird creature people and like i just don't see moff gideon and this other weird doctor guy um you know just being the people like in my in my head canon i was just seeing the sith acolytes as the people who were doing the bidding of this you know weird mangled palpatine you know clone whoever you know i don't know it's all bad and i don't like i don't like the whole cloning thing in in a huge way in general you can definitely hear all our thoughts in the rise of skywalker episode and depending on when this is released our episode about uh duel of fates the unused script for episode nine but um yeah i mean it's 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 hard to say i just wish there was i wish there was more definition like all sci-fi things and in myself i just wish i I need to know the hows and whys of of what's going on and i'm not getting them I, i i wonder if you remember the the blue guy that it was always following palpatine around um canonically his, his name's oh, Massa yeah, yeah, Meta, yeah. and he's sort he's of got uh, little horns or something like that yeah i think he was aware possibly of, of palpatine's you know role as a, a sith lord i think that is like a that's a canonical thing it might have actually been brought up in one of the aftermath books i can't be sure but if if he is still alive then it could be that he's sort of directing this i i that's the one thing I'm really curious about. That's what I, if my theory is right, I would like to know who was aware of that fact and, you know, how they're able to trust anybody with this knowledge, like that doctor. I guess we'll see, you know, it's good. The hard doctor to say. who seems to have a conscience, like, or maybe yeah. he doesn't like, maybe this actually changes that. Cause it, thinking back, remember he, he didn't want the child to be hurt. Now, was that for his own selfish reasons or because he cared about that living creature? And it, at the time it seemed that he cared. He also just could be like a captured scientist being forced into imperial gear to do some work yeah like galen or so i mean it would not surprise me in a few chapters to see that he's actually like uh trying to deliberately sabotage the emperor or something like that and he's you know he's the one delaying things and 
he like he obviously cares for the child but maybe he only cares for the child like he's like i think you're implying is out of selfishness for the child like to to save right. his emperor or whatever you know there's this right. a lot of things and like now the Werner herzog's gone i guess then like you know we really don't have a lot of insight into who's directing him anymore besides moff gideon it's all very weird and um I don't know. It's a. Uh, it's just one of those wait and kind of see things, but it also at the same time it makes me feel like I'm watching a TV show like Lost, where I don't really, where they don't really know where they're going. They have, you know, something concrete to land on. You know, Emperor needs to be cloned, Snoke needs to be created, but it's like I feel like they're waffling to use that term again. It could be. They. I mean, they they may have this all written out. They may have like the outline and sort of planned. It's just you know how Maybe. directly are they going to get there. Or how many steps along the way do they have planned versus, you know, where they're going to be landing? Speaking of Moff Gideon. Well, we have a huge action scene. Um, really fun. Some good canyon battles. Great uh, flying again. I, we got some really great space battles. Having a great time. Uh, you know, when he cuts the engines and falls back to Earth to finish off those ties. Really mm-hmm. fun for me. I love seeing inertia in space and uh, or in the air. You know, just like it's yeah, just true. really... Yeah, an atmospheric flight. It's just so fun, just like it was with the last uh, few chapters where we had those dogfights or the X-Wing chases. Um, and seeing the Razor Crest get to do some work and the Mandalorian get to do some work as a pilot, it's really cool. Um, all that being said, he so he did, Mandalorian did, he like took off halfway through the action scene and left the crew. He had his jetpack and he just jetpacked back to the town, picked up baby Yoda and got into his ship and then killed some TIE fighters. And during that time that his ship is docked at the port, he is, he got a tracker bug installed. Yeah. So that, that one kind of shifty, the shifty dock worker. Yeah. 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 He is apparently under the uh, direction of Moff Gideon. Obviously he was, he's paid off to add a tracker to the Razor Crest. Should it ever come back? And of course it did. Um, so Moff Gideon now knows where the Mandalorian is and is where he's heading. Uh, and he's also got a pack of dark troopers, as you identified. I, I asked what you thought they were. Um, the TV I didn't I say dark troopers. On. You didn't? No, I said death troopers. Oh, death troopers. Well, death troopers were the, those are humans. Like those were in Rogue One, right? Those were like the, yes. the black, the yeah. black troops. Yeah. Pretty cool. No. So these are different. Um, I wasn't able to really get a c- good, clear view of them on my TV. It was just too too dark for me to make out but when i watched it back later like most of this episode yeah when i watched it back later on a brighter screen um a little closer up i I could identify what these were and and sort of take a look back at where the dark troopers came from because i wasn't familiar with them um they were in like legends media i think really yeah they were in some things with legends i think they probably made some appearances in video games in the 90s i would sort of have that vibe but they were canonicized in Star Wars Commander, which was a mobile game avail- available from like 2014 to 2020. It just, I think it closed earlier this year. Huh. Um, it's a weird Who place knew? to canonize something. I, I don't know where that falls in like the, the canon hierarchy, but this is the first time that they've made a canonical like film or, you know, script appearance of some kind. Um, they look pretty imposing. Yeah. I didn't know anything about them. They come back into play in you know, a, a couple episodes from now and I was really disappointed and we'll get to that. But yep. yeah, it seems like Moff Gideon has a lot of resources left uh, at his disposal and he does seem pretty crafty. He's not like, he's not totally Thrawn-like, but he's definitely closer to Thrawn than to Tarkin, I would assume. You know, he, he has that logical and crafty 
sort of vibe. It looks like he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. And obviously, if he was able to obtain the Darksaber, then he probably um, knows what he's doing. So he seems scary. I mean, he's always scary in whatever TV show he's in. <laughs> um, the last part of this I think we want to talk about is Cara Dune uh, and like her being enticed to join the New Republic. And she has the whole uh, the DJ vibe, uh, the, the the Benicio del Toro from Last Jedi kind of thing. I think she says, "I don't join. I'm not a joiner." Is I think her line when yeah. asked to join the New Republic by the pilot who was chasing the Mandalorian in Episode Four Nine. It was Episode Ten, the passenger. Ah, okay. Thank you. I guess the biggest thing I take away here, she did like to to get to to cut to Chapter Fourteen really quickly. She does join the Rebellion or New Republic, and. She was in the cloning facility. She knows it's like an empire facility. She doesn't tell anybody in the New Republic about the clones. Like everybody is super surprised in the Rise of Skywalker that whatever. It's like I don't know. It's 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 like what so so like a you know a cop goes to their superior and's like hey just so you know like we like yes I am an I'm gonna join I'm I'm gonna become a cop and like I went to this thing and I you know raided this facility that is doing something illegal or like that is the remnants of our old, you know, like Nazis or something like that, or I don't know. And like they tell their boss, wouldn't you tell your boss? And then that boss is like either the boss buries it in, in, and is like, well, okay, you're just making that up. And then I don't know. It just, to me, it's like, you see something, say something, you know? (laughs) Sure. And I mean, (laughs) she saw something weird and it definitely had to do with the empire. Is there anything explicit that, tells you that she didn't like maybe she did but again like they blew up the whole place it's not like there's anything left to go back and investigate that's true i guess maybe that's a good point it's but to me it's like when when in 30 years later fast forward to the rise of skywalker and it's like somehow so empire like somehow he 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 cloned himself like the, the dark side of the force is really messed up and like yeah but it's like, oh, yeah, actually, you know what? We look back in our reports, and there was this person on this one planet who went to a facility and actually blew it up and saw a bunch of clones in there, and they couldn't really figure out what was going on. Definitely some, like, voice memos like uh, or some hollows on there that definitely right. talked about cloning and, like, M counts and, like, stuff. And we know cloning exists, so, like, it's actually yeah. pretty, you know... Like, you'd think there'd be some report somewhere they could scan in their giant archive. Or Cara Dune is just a big dum-dum and didn't report it to her superior when she joined the Rebellion or the New Republic. I guess what makes sense to me is that she probably, if if she didn't say anything, which I guess we could probably assume she didn't, it would probably be to protect <laughs> the Mandalorian and the child. Because again, that Hollow spoke specifically about the kid, and if she didn't report that part of it, she wouldn't be telling the whole truth. And if she wasn't telling the whole truth, then why say anything at all? That would I feel like that would make for a better plot though, is if the Empire and the New Republic because like we we you want to paint the New Republic as gray. I like I we, that's definitely not a secret at this point. They're definitely a yeah. little bit on the lighter side of gray, but like you if you want to really reinforce that, why not have the rebellion also pursuing? Maybe it's just too many elements to juggle in this script, but like I think it would be helpful if the rebellion did know about the idea of a cloning project happening and what knew and found out the child was a, it would just, it would be a really nice, like kind of love triangle between the empire, the new Republic and the Mandalorian, you know, if he had these two competing sides trying to ensure something, but it, it's, it's kind of like, um, I I'm playing squadrons and I do feel we're going to talk about this in a further future episode, but like 
the and I'm only a couple missions in to the storyline, but I do feel like they're they're hinting at the idea of the New Republic creating a super weapon. And, you know, it, it, it's, again, like, I think the point of Squadrons is that you're playing as Imperials and Rebellion and sort of that sympathetic nature you got when you're playing TIE Fighter uh, back in the day. And I guess this is all just to say that it's really powerful to tell a story from two sides, um, or three sides in this case, and kind of paint two out of the three sides or both sides as just like not awesome and kind of highlight the hypocrisy of each side. And I think to me, like I, this is going beyond my complaint about Caradu not ratting out the cloning facility, but it's just in general, I think it's a missed opportunity to kind of, and, and it's not to say they missed it completely because there's definitely still plenty of time in uh, whatever third season we get of this uh, and future episodes of this season that I haven't even seen yet to kind of develop this idea. But I just think, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, I don't know. I think the New Republic would just have would be as invested in stopping a cloning project, and yeah. then it would be what? What if they stop? What if they do reveal that the New Republic knows about the cloning project, and then we find out that they buried it and screwed over the future of the New Republic? Sure. And like then you're kind of like, oh, when Hosnian Prime got destroyed by the Starkiller base, maybe that could have been prevented if they had just. It's sort of like, um, God, I hate to draw this parallel. It's like nine eleven. You know, like you know, there was lots of. Uh, uh, stuff like this is not a 9-11 conspiracy thing it's just like you know the intelligence that the united states had before 9-11 like was like all indications point to that there's going to be a 9-11 um and right. they the kind of just didn't right the hindsight is twenty twenty, and the foresight was was sort of there and so like i just think it would be very sort of a compelling narrative to um say that you know maybe the new republic knew a little bit more i mean like there was definitely some stuff going on in bloodline that was sort of able to be picked up you know um didn't like doesn't Leia destroy like an entire weapons facility that's like it's the first order amassing stuff you know like maybe there's just not enough post return of the Jedi canon yet to really speak to this but at the same time it's like I just think there's so much opportunity to show that the first order is like I mean they show up at some point by the time the force awakens happens the first order is is really up and up and running you know so at some point they become they click into place but it's more like I feel like Bloodline is the first time that they see that there's something happening and that's well into like Ben Solo is alive. Princess Leia is, you know, that's still much closer she's... to the events of force awakens than to this. Sure. That yeah. than this is, and it would be cool to show like how preventable the first order could have been. And I think in chapter 14, we see like the flat out, you know, like the, that is like pre bloodline and post aftermath them saying in chapter 14, oh, this is something, something is going on here. But unfortunately, they're, none of them are New Republic that are saying it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all that. I think the reason that maybe they don't have a, a larger role for the New Republic in, in that part of the story is just that you can only have so many people chasing after the Mandalorian at one time. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, no. I, I mean, that's the functionality of this. There's too many pieces yeah. to juggle. I totally admit that. But in general, yeah. I feel like a, like a film would show two sides of the of trying to go after the child. Um, anyway. One hour later, let's get into chapter 13. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is called the Jedi. Um, we see the, the glorious return of uh, Mr. Dave Filoni. As both writer and director. Uh, yeah. And he's, also, he's the creator of Clone Wars, right? Uh, or the, he's co-creator of Clone Wars or heavy hand in Clone Wars. He did Rebels as well? Yes, he did. Yep. Okay. So this is this is like the godfather of... Star Wars television, essentially. Yeah, he. I mean, 
more than anybody, Dave really took on the reins from George, right? Like he was sort George of George Lucas Lucas's. We're about here. Yeah. Yeah. Who else? <laughs> he was like his apprentice, basically. He really learned a lot from George, and George really appreciated Dave's take on his world and really trusted him with a lot. So when they co created the Clone Wars together, that just totally that exploded the possibility of the expanded universe in star Wars. And it opened up so many new channels and threads and ideas, which really plays into almost everything that we've had since clone Wars made its debut. Dave Filoni really is like the master of storytelling in star Wars. And I think I've talked about this before on a previous episode, but watch the gallery episodes on Disney plus about the Mandalorian, because there is one episode where, you know, it's a round table. Everybody's talking about little bits and pieces of, of a topic or an idea. And then there's like a, a full 12 to 14 minute stretch of a very short episode that they just let Dave keep talking because he's just so fascinating to listen to when it comes to storytelling. He just has such a strong instinct for these things. I was really excited for this, not, you know, just from a, you know, him directing it, but also writing it like, and knowing that this was probably going to be the Ahsoka episode and Ahsoka is Dave Filoni's baby. Like that is more than anything. His, his contribution is, is Ahsoka Tano. That is his character through and through. Um, I was really excited for this episode because I love Dave. I love Ahsoka. And I knew that this was going to be a really, at least interesting episode because bringing her to live action was going to be uh, tough, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's what we knew going into this. We talked about that last episode. Well, I, I think also you forgot to mention that Dave Filoni wears a really cool cowboy hat too. I that's did really forget important. to mention that. that yeah. Really I think important. that's a really thing. That's a cool thing we should talk about because Dave Filoni is the man and I think he looks cool. And I respect the fact that he wears that hat all the time or in a lot of the shots that I see him. And I don't know if he wears it all the time, but I like him. And I think, I, I think you and I were both celebrating his return to this series or to this, to his disposition. Yeah. Actually, I saw some screenshots of Dave Filoni on like a Zoom call for the uh, Rancho Obi-Wan gala that happened like a week or so ago. Uh-huh. And he wasn't wearing his hat. And it was really wow. weird. <laughs> it completely yeah, changes it, him. It, that's weird. It's like Fred Durst without the hat on, you know? Um, yeah. Um, okay, so we, we uh, this is a very stylistic episode. I think that that much can be detected right off the bat. We have a very ominous opening um, on a, a city, uh, very much out of like a samurai film to me, yeah. it seems. Uh, it could be out of any you know type of film, but like it's it's really, it could be, it's, it's semi-Western in a way. Um, There's also that, but like very like bell tolling, very dramatic, um, you know, people hunting this, this parrot across a battlefield. Um, and we get our first view of Dave Filoni's finest creation, uh, uh, Ahsoka Tano. Yeah. And like you mentioned, this is a really cool set as well. Like this is a decayed forest. We have these weird mass humans that are obviously hunting somebody that turns out to be Ahsoka. Um, and it seems this planet has just been like destroyed. Like it's like acid rain, killed everything living except for those weird roaming creatures in the background that seem to be grazing on something yeah. but i can't figure out what because everything is dead it's it's very um i recently watched the movie spooky hollow or um sleepy hollow you know sleepy hollow sleepy the, hollow, the spooky forest um oh no that, is that like a johnny depp thing yeah yeah the johnny depp movie it feels very much like that like a bunch of dead trees all kind of like crooked and decayed uh everything's sort of like uh has a misty green hue um which allows Ahsoka to, to run around on scene until she lights those super bright white uh, lightsabers up and, and takes everybody out. 
That first appearance of her, though, is so cool because she's just starting around. She has the two sabers. She's using them just like she does in the animated series. Uh, we can't really get a great look at her yet, but there's like flashes and there's amazing choreography. She like she does this cool like two saber swipe, which takes out somebody, but also slices out a subsection of a tree, which she then uses the force to push that subsection of the tree out and hit somebody else. It's just like really great choreography. And there's a lot of that in this episode. Um, but man, that was such a, a fun way to bring her to the screen. Just like immediately getting that, that sort of fast, quick Ahsoka Tano action. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like it was dual lightsaber wielding. I, were her lightsabers different colors in the Clone Wars and, and um, Rebels? I think so. I think they switched to white um, post, post her leaving the Jedi Order. I think actually that might've been part of the last bit of the clone wars that we got earlier this year that might have been the first oh, canonically yeah that might have been the first that we got to see them canonically but they make appearances in rebels they they're definitely there in the ahsoka book that came out a couple years ago which is a really great read highly recommended it's really fun should i um watch the last season of clone wars after i finish rebels um i mean you don't need to i okay like it, it follows up right where it left off, right? Like a lot okay, of that well, I, was I wasn't playing, sure so. if like you know they they if like knowing seeing rebels is like you know you get some of the wink winks of Clone Wars the final season, but it's fine. Um, that's good to know. Um, okay, so we see Ahsoka. You know, I, I, now that you bring that up, I think this is actually a good time to talk about her timeline because this was one of the major oh, yeah. questions in this episode, which is like where where does this actually fall in Ahsoka's story, right? Like in Clone Wars, you're familiar with the fact that she was kicked out of the Jedi Order. And after that, um, you know, she has some adventures, stuff that you will see in in the Clone Wars ending. But we all know how that ends. Like Order 66 comes around, she goes into hiding. Uh, that's when the Ahsoka Tano book actually happens. After that, she, she links up with Jimmy Smith's Bail Organa, um, and she becomes Fulcrum for the Resistance. Like the Resistance is a new thing. She becomes sort of like this, uh, like spy master for them, basically, and a recruiter of sorts. Okay. Uh, and in Rebels, like I, so much of this spoils Rebels for you because it's it. She hits a lot of major plot points. It's fine, but I think it's important to 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 kind of piece together where this could belong. So in rebels, uh, she, you know, she meets Ezra Bridger, who is in this new Jedi being trained, um, under a Jedi that was also able to escape. They end up on Malachor, which is like a Sith planet and Maul is there and Vader ends up there. And so that's when you get that Vader Ahsoka standoff, which I'm, I'm sure you've at some point seen screenshots of. It would be almost possible. Yeah, I've probably seen the screenshots, but I've, I mean, there was also a, a Vader thing. Doesn't Ahsoka come to realize who Anakin is going to become on yeah. Mortis in the Clone Wars? Um, no, she doesn't realize that on, on Mortis. Has, he realizes who that has on the Mortis. Vision? He oh, goes okay. to save her. Like, I just remember hearing the breathing and like the, yeah. like the weird like he hologram. He sees a glimpse of his of. own future, right? Yeah, um, okay. But this is actually where she, she fully realizes uh, what yeah, Vader that is has him. become. And she does reference this in the episode of the, the Mandalorian that we're talking about. Like she, she sees, she, she knows that even the best of us can fall prey to the dark side. Ah, so that's who she's referring to. She's referring to, okay. So that, that wouldn't have occurred to me in that moment, but that's fine. I'm glad it sheds light on that, epi- on this episode that we're talking about. So I'm happy you told me. Yeah. So in rebels, um, she faces off with Vader 
and she's she's able to let Ezra and and the others go free. Ezra actually ends up kind of saving her from the standoff with Vader through this other weird force mechanic that we're going to have to talk about someday that's it's called the world between worlds Ezra kind of ends up in this in-between place where he's able to kind of go back in time and physically pull Ahsoka from that moment in time to save her from Vader and then she ends up going back because she knows that she has to she has to like deal with that herself um there's like so so many questions around that that I don't fully understand but anyway she goes back to her own time somehow escapes Vader and that's you know that's how we're able to see her now the last thing that we see of Ahsoka, um, at least in the media that has since been released, is that she joins Sabine Wren to find Ezra. Because at the end of Rebels, Ezra and Thrawn sort of disappear into the unknown regions together. They they're on the, the ship, a bunch of stuff happens, they go into hyperspace, end up in the you know, the unknown regions, and they're sort of lost. And the question is that last scene that we see with her joining Sabine to go find Ezra, when does that take place? Because we don't know. The assumption was that it would happen before this, but that doesn't seem to be so clear because it it could be that that is sort of after the events that we see in the Mandalorian. Um, And again, Mando starts nine years after Rebels ends. Uh, but that last shot, that last that last scene that we get with Ahsoka, which is the way that the show sort of ends, that could very well happen after the events of Rebels. And Dave Filoni alluded to this in an interview that he did with Vanity Fair last week, and I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, we just don't know. And we can't use the Luku length <laughs> as a metric for this because they were shortened for live action. Um, sure, they that should makes be, sense. They should be longer, like canonically, like they should be a little bit longer than they are. But for stunts and movement reasons, they're not. And I, I'll link to a tweet here that sort of explains that. I d- yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see the, the tweet and everything. Like, I don't buy it, though. Like, I just feel like there have been more unwieldy costumes. Oh, for sure. Like, I think a big a big thing about The Mandalorian is how unwieldy these costumes are. I think, like, next the next chapter that we're talking about, we're going to be talking about that for sure. But, like, in general, The Mandalorian walks around like he's really uncomfortable. The Stormtroopers are the most comfortable-looking characters in this whole show because I think after, you know, 40 years of Star Wars or whatever, how, six, how many years of Star Wars have we had? 43. Yeah, I think they've got the Stormtrooper armor on lockdown, and they're like, they're like okay, this is how we make this fit somebody probably enough enough sizes but like everybody looks really uncomfortable in the show no matter what they're wearing i don't know i think the head tails being short the lacou like it just seems like a budget thing to me more than anything like think back to shock t right in the prequels like we we have somebody of the same species that had much longer lacou physical prop lacou like this this exists um I guess she wasn't doing the actions. They weren't doing the action sequences that she's doing in this, though. Well, there were action sequences. I would assume that all of that was CGI. And, you know, presumably that is something that they could do here for Ahsoka as well. I, I think it's just really a costume thing. Yeah. In general, it, it just looks like she was like, wearing like a styrofoam hat in her I head. I know. You can like, like throughout the episode, you can see the differences in the creases. Like you can see the wear that was being put on this prop over the course of filming. I just didn't understand that. It's just like it's it's so... Like there's this, this show looks so good in certain areas. Yeah. And, um, like I'm not, I, I wasn't disappointed. Like, like last episode we talked about how much we loved the casting of Rosario Dawson and I'm doubling down on that. She was perfect for yeah, this role in every single way. It's just like the costuming department was just kind of like, it's like, really? This, this is what you guys did with that? Like, 
I don't know. I was also I'm also rewatching some of the Clone Wars for the Mandalorian arc and also noticing like the wardrobe change they gave Ahsoka between seasons two and three, I think. Like she was still wearing the tube top in season two, I right. think. And then by season three they were like, Maybe we shouldn't have this like young female lead wearing a tube top all the time. And, right. Well, um, I think just... the idea was that she was supposed to be very young. Like she was very much a Padawan learner for the first two seasons of She's that. She's a child. And, yeah. And she, yeah, after, especially after the Mandalorian arc, she gets a lot more responsibility. Well, and um, I, I think as a result of that, you have to make her look more mature. Sure. I guess. Yeah. I, I think that's that. But yeah, in general, it, it's just funny to, to watch the changes happening and then see like her in this. And she's an adult now, like, a you know, and... It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I can't say it's a letdown, it's just, but it's also just, like, very distracting, I guess that's the way to put it. It's just distracting this episode to kind of see it. Like, they don't look like, they don't look like a part of her, and I think that's really the, the weird part to me is that the look you just kind of. Yeah, they're not look, perfect, they're they look, passable, I think. They look like props, I think. But yeah, they, they kind of do. But anyway, that's, that's sort of, I, that's the best we can do on the timeline, because we, we don't really know, I, I feel like this probably would be prior to prior to that coda at the end of rebels, because we realize later in this episode that Ahsoka is looking for grand Admiral Thrawn. And because we know that Thrawn disappeared with Ezra, if she's trying to find Ezra, she has to find Thrawn first. I see. So that would make the last line or like the last reveal about Thrawn in this episode, um, less of a surprise. Cause when she said, show me Thrawn or whatever, not having seen Rebels. I was like, I knew Thrawn was in Rebels just for through osmosis, but I didn't know that like there was a reason. I didn't know the reason why she was asking to find Thrawn. I was like, oh, they're, they're, they're revealing Thrawn. And I was like very much like excited. And Aaron's like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I think that theory that she's trying to find Ezra sort of maybe gives credence to the other theory, which will play into chapter 14 more, which is like, okay, if... Well, we'll get to it. Well, it makes yeah. it makes more sense later in this episode. So, okay, cool. Ahsoka arrives at that walled city that we talked about at the beginning, and she starts talking to this this woman and her security officer. The woman is Diana Lee Insanto, and she's playing the character Morgan Elsbeth. And this is awesome because she's a actual martial artist. She's the daughter of Dan Insanto, and her godfather was her father's training partner, Bruce Lee. So <laughs> this, like she comes from amazing martial arts stock and to get a little bit of that in, in this is really cool. I love when they bring in actual mar- martial artists. Like we know the best Jedi lightsaber battles happened with Ray Park because he's incredible. Like the Darth Maul stuff was phenomenal. It's like the reason why I still love the prequel so much and why it was so amazing to me as a kid is because he was just so good and you know the acrobatics and all that it's just it's cool so anytime they're able to bring in somebody that has that actual expertise is really special um the man is actual michael bean uh he's playing yeah, i didn't recognize Lane. him i didn't recognize him right away either i'm like yeah he seems familiar and i actually thought in my head he kind of looks like michael bean <laughs> i was trying to place him and i couldn't i never in a million years would have recognized him from terminator I didn't recognize him from Alien either. No, he's he's thickened up a little bit. Was he? He was uh, Corporal Hicks, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he's he's been in a ton of stuff, mostly James Cameron things, Terminator, Alien, Abyss. Also, that movie with uh, with the with Nick Cage called The Rock. You ever seen that? Uh, I've heard of the film. Yes, I've heard of the film. It's pretty the Rock great, with actually. Sean Connery, it's, rest in peace. It's it's one of the better ones. Um, 
anyway, yeah, Michael Bean, like he's he's like a, a science fiction legend, and it's really cool that he was able to to make his way into the Star Wars universe. Um, honestly, haven't seen like a ton with him recently. Uh, I know that he self produced and directed a movie, and I watched some clips of it, and it was like pretty bad and borderline soft core. <laughs> like oh, it was really all not right. great. Well, that's something. <laughs> Yeah, regardless, like he's he's here. He does you know, a great job. He sort of pl- plays like a a sleazy, you know, gun for hire kind of guy. We talk a lot about on this show like the idea of Star Wars now being created by the people that loved it as kids back in the 70s and 80s and 90s and like how cool that is. And I think the casting in this really speaks to who's making it now. You know, like the idea that they're casting old sci-fi stars like Carl Weathers, and I'm, I'm not slighting them for being aged. You know, this is not that commentary. I'm saying like old, like sci-fi is from, you know, the eighties and nineties. Like we're seeing older films and the heroes from those who've largely fallen you know, like by the wayside and you don't see and stuff anymore because they can't do the action scenes or whatnot anymore. They just don't look the part um, or like younger, hotter t- Tad Hamilton, uh, what is, whatever. The, who's the alternate uh, Cobb Vanth that we thought from last week? Um, not Oliphant. Oh, I was going to say Oliphant. Um, right, but not Timothy Oliphant. The other like, guy. Yeah, the other guy. The, the one you get <laughs> getting so confused bad. for. I feel so bad for these guys because it's it's this is like a shared thing. Like <laughs> them getting replaced. You have like these people being supplanted by younger, more fitter stars. But I think it's really cool that they're not giving being given second chances because they don't it's not like they're being thrown bones or whatever you know like they're just getting josh these DeMille. roles josh <laughs> DeMille. yeah okay anyway transformers guy um <laughs> but yeah you're getting like this this opportunity for these actors to kind of just show up again and it's not only is it like you know kids watching this and getting into the mandalorian you know they're getting their first exposure to these actors and they're not really having it but like the parents of these kids that are finally like it's like when Pixar makes like adult themed jokes, like jokes for adults that like, or like Disney movies make those kind of jokes. It's like you're getting these in moments for the parents that are like trying to get their kids into it. It's like, I don't know. It's just exciting to be like, oh, Terminator was like a really big movie for me as a kid. Or like, oh, you know, Aliens was huge. And I used to play with his action figure all the time. And now like I get to, I, I mean, I don't have a child that I'm showing the Mandalorian yet, but like, you know, if I did, I would be like, oh, I used to play with that guy's action figure in a different series. And you don't really get to say that with a lot of action stars in movies these days. Like you can't, you can't really like, there's not a lot of Vin Diesel toys, you know? Right. Or, or like the rock, like had wrestling figures. So like, yeah, I mean, kids, like parents showing their kids, like any fast and furious movie or whatever, for whatever reason they're doing that. They're like, yeah, I used to play, he was a wrestler back in the nineties or whatever. And I used to play with his action figure or like go watch him on TV all the time. And now he's in this huge franchise, like called Jumanji or whatever. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, this is all just to say, I like that, you know, people who grew up with Star Wars are now making it. Yeah, it's it's fun because, I mean, they've had their entire lives making up their own stories. Like these are people who at their you know prime Star Wars age were playing with the figures and in their backyards and coming up with their own adventures. And they got to read all of the, the Legends material and they voraciously sought it out as it was coming. And now they get to they get to play with that however they want. And they have the budget at their disposal. They have the casting at their disposal. It's like, well, I, I really, I would love to cast Carl Weathers in this. Like, he'd be great. Like, we, a Carl Weathers type, you know, like, or, or a Michael Bean type, you know. Like, it's, it's just, 
you know, what's he doing these? What's he doing? Let's get him in this. I would love to see him. You know, I'd love to meet him. I'd love to work with him. He like he like uh, the, this guy that uh, this character I'm writing would just be so much like his character in Terminator or whatever. He like he's like an older grizzled version of that. Like, I don't know. It's just like you. It's just a cool thing to think about. Is that who gets to make Star Wars? And I, I will. I hope that Star Wars continues to diversify in terms of its creators. I hope that, you know, like we still get to see more different types of Star Wars being made. But well, you you see a good contrast of that even with just these two characters you have diana lee you know santo and you have michael bean like one of them is a known science fiction hero he's been in like all of the good ones <laughs> and then yeah you have her and like she's well known in her own right but she's new to star wars and her sort of character is also new to star wars you have like this woman in charge who was also like physically capable of taking on a jedi <laughs> i mean that's yeah. that's no feat obviously she loses uh, this is Ahsoka, and it would be like even though we we talked about Ahsoka possibly and potentially dying in this show, I was very nervous this episode for that. Uh, it would be crazy to do that so fast <laughs> to somebody that's that's just using a pike. I think that would be a little yeah. crazy, but um, yeah, it is cool. I like the casting in this. Uh, they they're these guys just sort of want Ahsoka gone. Like Ahsoka is a problem and when Mando arrives, he's asked to kill her and his reward would be uh, the aforementioned Beskar Pike. Do we know where that came from? Is that an artifact from a previous uh, episode or a uh, previous like Star Wars property? I, I imagine it's somewhere. And... specifically. I think it just sort of shows up because we know that the Mandalorian has a weakness for Beskar and yeah, he's he's, saying, he yeah, has this like... This Oh, is that Beskar? Is that Beskar? <laughs> it's like, if this was an RPG, he has like his quests. This is like the one that sort of continues it's on throughout the entire game. <laughs> like the entire time you're just supposed to be getting as much as you can. Yeah, this is just like a, a map search. I think it's, um, I, I'm going to keep my eyes peeled while I'm rewatching the Mandalorian arcs from Clone Wars. Like I'm just going to, uh, it's going to be some random spear that's just held by one Mandalorian in the background. I promise you. Like it's, oh, it, yeah. there's some, there's some background of the spear. Like there's, there's going to be a whole, back. there's a whole Wikipedia page for this one spear and it's, it's lineage. It's, <laughs> it's just as long as a dark saber page, but yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I mean, the, the plot is pretty straightforward. He goes, he goes looking for Ahsoka and, he finds Ahsoka. We have the obligatory uh, Marvel team up, uh, but before you can do that, you have to have the fight between the team. Um, so we get that. Doesn't go on for nearly as long, but I'm also kind of grateful no. for that because, you know, during those fights in like Avengers when Thor and Captain America and Iron Man are all squabbling and letting Loki get away or whatever, it's very like, you know, you're just, you're, you're kind of like, these are the stupidest people on the planet. They're so full of themselves and like, you know, they're trying to fight each other for no goddamn reason. Like, it's just so dumb. Um, and in this, you know, you have, like, a little bit of a fight, and then suddenly he's like, Ahsoka Tato, I've been sent here to kill you, but, like, I somebody, Bo-Katan sent me, like, it's just, like, please, just stop fighting me right now. Like, it's... Yeah, and then she's like, oh, okay, I hope it's about that kid who I just noticed there. <laughs> right, and I, I love how quickly that turns, though. Like, I'm so glad that there's no convincing or no confusion. The biggest thing, my one of my biggest pet peeves in te- film and TV is confusion amongst characters when it could be easily sorted out. You know, it's like, somebody walks in and is like, it's not what it looks like. It's like, well, I mean, really easy to clear it up. If it like the audience knows it's easy to clear it up. So like, just clear it up. It's probably going to be fine. Um, so, but they, they clear it up really quickly. Also, I think a really cool thing here that I never even thought about in my life, um, which I probably should have is the idea that Beskar can stop lightsabers. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't really think about that. I guess it can deflect blaster bolts and lightsabers can deflect blaster bolts. So you, there's some weird I think we like actually talked about this in maybe one on of our first thing. five episodes. I think we talked really? about the different like lightsaber resistant materials that were made. Um, I didn't realize Beskar was one of them. Yeah, it was, it's one of them. But that's cool. I, I, I liked watching it because when it happened, I, you know, like you, you're used to seeing a lightsaber, like in episode one, you see them cutting down that door with their right. lightsabers and like kind of melting it. And you're like, oh, that's like Durasteel, right? So, you know, when he kind of blocks the lightsaber with his armor, you're just like, whoa, this is, uh, that's pretty wild. You yeah. know, like it's, I mean, uh, that's, that was the whole point. Like the, the Mandalorian armor came about in the age of the, the war against the Jedi. Right. So, right. So you, you, you think like the, the super powerful Jedi, like you would just cut down the Mandalorian, but, uh, or Mandalorians during that war, but no, like, wow, it's. Yeah. That's why, that's why Morgan Elspeth's character says like, you know, he's like, well, you know, killing a Jedi is a pretty hard task. And she's like, well, no one's more suited for it than you right and right that's the the idea (laughs) literally suited Uh, i got Uh, it Uh, okay so um we we have uh, a great revelation which i spoiled earlier which is that the child's name is grogu yeah i love the way she says his name yeah and she says it's so cavalier like just just so funny well, it's just a matter of fact for her. Like, it's not like she's yeah, been traveling exactly. with this thing for weeks or months or however long it's been and, and getting used to just calling it kid. Um, my favorite part about this is like Grogu's reaction anytime Mando says his name. He just like immediately like snaps to attention and looks over there and like lets out that little baby coo. It's just so cute. <laughs> it's impossibly cute. It's adorable. It's also very dog like. So I'm just yeah. so confused as to why he can't just communicate, you know, like. What, what what is going on like is he a dog is he intelligent in mm-hmm. in a greater degree like i don't get it because my dog does the same thing if i yell her name so i i don't know i i don't know if i don't know enough about babies to know if they do the same thing and i don't know that babies could you know solve some wiring issues in my spaceship so it's it's all very confusing to really mike i i know that you're not a parent but i feel it's really important for me to tell you that it's not okay to have your baby work on any sort of wiring my baby can't fix my ac units yes please do not do that okay i will keep that in mind for the future okay we have some exposition about grogu's past uh he is a he was a he's a trainee on at the jedi temple at at the jedi temple yeah and there have been some funny memes where people uh have recut or edited baby yoda into (laughs) that scene where Anakin in appears. The prequels. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. He was probably there uh, at order 66. That's crazy. Yeah. Like who saved him? That's another big question about in the series. It's like who, who actually saved Grogu? Right. And you, you see now why it's so important for them to say that baby Yoda, AKA Grogu, AKA the child, um, is a 50 years old. Uh, because in my head, I was like, wait a second, that seems so long ago that the, oh, because, you know, Order 66 was about 50 years ago or so, right? Like, less. Because uh, Luke is, what, like, in his 20s at the end of Return of Jedi? And yeah, so does that mean that Grogu was, like, 10 when he started, quote-unquote, training? Right, 15, 10 or 15, I mean, I guess. physically, how big would he be? And if he's too... <laughs> Well, if he's 50, and also if he's 50 right now and Anakin was too old to start being trained at like seven or eight or whatever he was supposed to be, is, does that mean that Grogu is the, is older, like too old? 
Like, what is the right age to start training? I think is we it, could drive ourselves like, crazy on his species, like, and how little yeah, context yeah, exactly. we have for it. I need answers. You know, that's really the. Well, the hopefully, bottom line we here. get it. Like, I God, I really hope so. Some some firm answers on all of this would be really ideal because it just it does, it is crazy making because you have to do so much math when you're thinking about this kid. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this is where we get that line, you know, about you know, uh, she's seen the best fall or whoever because their attachments and because Grogu is too attached to the Mandalorian, which, you know, you could have fooled me. Um, (sighs) I know that, I know they're close and they're a lot of cute scenes, but you know, I really, if I'm thinking of Grogu as a dog, um, then I just think about how when anybody babysits or or pet sits my dog, my dog forgets about me instantly. uh, As soon as I'm taken (laughs) on to, as soon as it's taken on by somebody else who's feeding it. So yeah, I mean her, she's coming from like the Jedi point of view. And even though she, you know, she left the Jedi order, she has the training, like her understanding of how training a force sensitive kid works basically stems from everything that the Jedi masters would have said about Anakin or Ahsoka. If she would have come later, like he's too old for the training. He has attachments that leads to fear. It it just kind of follows the logic that we're aware of from the prequels. I, I thought yeah. another interesting thing in this conversation was that, uh, she did mention knowing one other of his kind. Um, there's been some kerfuffle on the internet. In fact, uh, Yaddle was actually a trending topic on Twitter for about a day because <laughs> people thought that she, uh, it was an injustice that Ahsoka didn't reference Yaddle as well as Yoda, but I'm pretty sure that she wouldn't have met Yaddle. I think Yaddle left the, the, like the Jedi masters council at some point, um, during the clone wars and, by the time Ahsoka was in play, I don't think she would have would have met her. Maybe aware of her, but she did specifically say that she had met. You know, Yaddle's Yoda. coming back. Like you know, absolutely one hundred percent. I I put money on the idea that Yaddle shows up later on in this as like the last of the or like his kind. You know, it's gonna happen. I don't know. Like the rest, what follows is cool action. I guess same as the beginning. Like I feel like we're glossing over the action in all of these episodes because there's not a lot to say. You have to see it really to understand yeah. it. Like I mean, it's all good action. The choreography in this whole show is fantastic. It's mm-hmm. there's oh the direction. It's not even just that. It's the direction. Like the 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 scenes and like the idea that like I love the idea. You know when Ahsoka is fighting um, Elsbeth, um, like that. You know they cut away from the fight and you just hear the like the sounds of it happening, um, implying that like. And, and while they're showing the Mandalorian and uh, Michael Bean, like, I just like that they are just, and, and like, they're able to balance, like, to really do stuff. And the whole time that Michael Bean and Mandalorian are having that standoff in my head, I'm like, there's one more droid. There's one more droid. There's one more droid. And like, just freaking out being like, there's, there's something's going to happen. There's a droid. There's a droid. There's a droid. And soon, and, you know, Michael Bean double crosses the Mandalorian, sort of. He puts his gun down, but draws his blaster and obviously gets ganked by yeah. Mandalorian. And then the last droid shows up, right? And he shoots him down off the roof. Really, like, nonchalant. Like, again, like, showing the badassery that I kind of like in The the Mandalorian. Like, so I got a lot of gratification this episode for that, that whole thing. Like, he's very competent in this because there's really no... He's he's of use to the people that uh, are trying to take advantage of him in a greater way than he was to the core. And, like, and the people who are trying to take advantage of him aren't trying to... They don't really care about the child. You can see, like, I mean, he's just slung around his hip and he's like keep him around for good luck or whatever. He's like, you know, that's yeah. what, that's what he says to Michael Bean. That was a great line. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's just like a, it's a funny, it's a good, it's a great, you know, ending scene. Um, the fight was like, based on our conversation last episode, I was very nervous that something was going to happen to Ahsoka. 
that that they were going to kill her on screen and um they didn't they didn't even show enough of that fight on scene honestly in my opinion yeah like, they, they did too yeah. much like flashing back to the mandalorian and then just we we just hear the fight happening which is, is sort of a cop out i wish that there was more I, I i like that directorial choice i imagine there were reasons why they chose to do that maybe it's because of the costumes and the like the the leku and like just the fight not looking as good as they wanted it to um, yeah i guess it is possible that they filmed more of it they very likely film more more of it than was shown but i guess when you have like a martial artist like in in osanto you sort of expect to see more um but then also unless you're going to get like a stunt double for rosario dawson um i guess it's it's kind of limited to her ability (laughs) to perform advanced choreography yeah i mean i thought it was suspenseful i thought it did the job um obviously we would have wanted to see more but it's uh i i don't know i thought i thought i was i was this episode was good to me like it in general and then you know everything is you know the the, the town is liberated the city is liberated the we rightful leader is restored thing was to try to find thrawn um mm-hmm. presumably she gets that information from her and then she kind of we sends, don't know what happens to elspeth right uh well it seemed like she she fell <laughs> she she, she died f- oh you, you think ahsoka killed her after she got what she needed yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, she she beat her in the fight, and I I don't know. I guess I'm assuming so. I, it, it is she unclear. said, "Where's Thrawn? You think she would just murder her afterwards? Huh? That's very Anakin and uh, Dooku. Then in that case, yeah, probably um, not. Maybe I mean, I think she's probably in shackles. Yeah, I mean, the the town got turned back. There was that like that one guy that kind of kept coming out throughout the the episode. Yeah, he turned. Turns out he was the leader. Yeah, it turns out. Um. um so okay, yeah, I and guess then I don't he's... know what happens to her, but she gets the information that she needs, presumably, and then she sort of sends Mando off, uh, kind of going back on her promise. It seems like she she sort of semi-committed to maybe training this kid, uh, which would have ended his quest. But then we get a little scene where, like, he's hesitant to say goodbye, and, like, he's you know, they're having a moment. And then Ahsoka shows up to kind of let him off the hook and say, well, you're, you're not done with him quite yet. I'm actually going to send you to this planet called Tython, and it has some ruins. Uh, there's a seeing stone there. Just put the kid on it, and perhaps a jedi may sense his presence <laughs> yeah it's pretty wild that's where the internet led up with like who who possibly what other jedi would be out there to sense his presence and as her bridge came up and now we had some predictions what were some of the other ones there was i suggested mace windu because they've been you know hinting at a mace windu comeback for a long time i feel like you know sam jackson i think has been saying like hey you never saw me die and it's like we definitely saw you get thrown out of a building and electrocuted so i mean i think that's the least likely yeah i mean for sure but i was just thinking about like what can they what stops can they pull out there and so my, i thought kanan i don't know what happened to him in rebels right yeah, so you, you don't um there's cal kestis who from jedi fallen order which i think would sure. be a cool cool thing um i wasn't like super attached to attached to cal kestis in uh his video game but the like the actor who you know played that character looks exactly like his character in the game so you know mm-hmm. he was like the face model for the character as well so well, i like think the that's force a, unleashed i think was another yep, guy just right? like yep just like that um i mean the force unleashed guy played many characters in in clone wars and and i think maybe in rebels as well uh he was also oh, really? in in uh a season of Dexter. Okay. But I, I think Cal Kestis would be a cool ad. I think he would, it would be cool to bring him in from the, you know, the video game universe and, and pull him into yeah. the series in the way that they have for all of the other animated characters from the existing TV shows. 
It would be, I mean, it, it's funny that we're talking about this because we just know nothing happens in the next episode. <laughs> like it, like this, this question is not answered in, in chapter 14. It's speculation, but it, it's fun because the, the possibilities go beyond what we would expect. Because, of course, it could be Luke. Like, technically, it could be Luke, but it's probably oh, man, not Luke. It would be so Luke. cool if it was Luke. Um, it it's so probably cool. not Luke. It's probably not Samuel L. Jackson. Like, I, I think... I'm like 98, 98% sure it's not Sam Jackson. That would be cool, but I just doubt it. I, I really feel like Mace Windu was... Uh, he's gone. Like, I, I keep thinking about our last episode where we talked about, you know mace windows lightsaber for a bit so that kind of has me like excited about that idea um okay so then we we're on we're off into hyperspace and we're we're going to tython maybe we didn't know i mean he could have made a pit stop before tython but he didn't um so this is called the tragedy which really heavily foreshadows i didn't I, i'm glad i don't know the episode titles going into these things because i'm just not paying attention uh you know and if i had seen the tragedy i would have just known how this ends you think? I mean, they, they flash these title cards. They do, and I just don't pay attention. I okay. I got like I just I just I bl- I glaze over. I'm just so en- enraptured by uh, the the score of this show. So this is written by uh, Favreau, John Favreau, and directed by Robert Rodriguez. Who is what is Robert Rodriguez known for? He's a filmmaker. Is he the guy who did Once Upon a Time in Mexico? Yeah, he did Amariachi, Sin City, Spy Kids. Uh, from dusk till dawn he's a famous like action horror director or like or he's a famous like western director which is really weird because like if you had asked me to to name an episode like i would have said that he would have directed the last episode <laughs> like the 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 weird kind of like you know town man comes to town and has to write wrong and like a bunch of fight scenes i would have guessed that that was robert rodriguez but this one this one <sighs> oh he directed elite battle angel Oh, that's awesome. I really like that movie. I, I think it's much oh. better than people give her credit for. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, in my head, I was thinking Ghost in the, Ghost in the Machinist or whatever. No, I was like, okay, no, 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 no. no. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. No, Robert Rodriguez is, is, I mean, that's why I recognize the name. I Like, he's just, he's a really well-known filmmaker and very stylistic and good at what he does. And uh, and this episode was very stylistic. Like, there was, this I had guess, a, but a, a, a tone. it was stylistic in the way of a Power Ranger movie. Like I just, uh-huh. I felt like I was watching <laughs> Power Rangers. Yeah, you said that, and I think that's so interesting because I, I thought you'd be kind of like amped on this one. I this Mm-mm. this episode has a lot of Boba Fett action, and this really has everything that I think people wanted for Boba Fett in live good. action. Um, we'll get to it. Like I, I want to get to yeah. it in order because I, I think it it makes sense to do it that way. Cool. But at the beginning of this episode, there's some more bonding and training. You know, Mando and Grogu uh, arrive on Tython. They have some, well, I guess Mando has some back and forth. Uh, he's trying to do some more Jedi training with him. And it seems like he's kind of disappointed, but also not. Like, he says that he's, like, proud of the kid or whatever. But, um, I don't know, there's there's some tension there. Uh, they park the ship because they're not able to land at the site that they're supposed to go to. Like they see it, but it's like the ship is too big to park there. So he parks it farther away and then they actually get there by jetpack. He puts yep. Grogu on the seeing stone. The kid's dra- distracted by butterflies that frustrates the Mandalorian. He's like, let's just get it over with already. It's very much like a dad dropping his kid off at like a comic con or something like that <laughs> is what I feel. Like. I get those vibes from like, like the dad doesn't really understand what's about to happen. It's like, it's like a dad dropping his kid off at like D&D, you know, a match oh. with his friend's house. He's like, I don't know what's about to happen with this kid. So I'm just going to put you on this rock and kind of let you do your thing. All right. And he just like steps back. And I, I see it more as like, 
dad dropping his kid off at a baseball game. Like he has expectations for what this kid can do. And because he's not, he's just like kicking dirt clods and like, you know, looking at ants. Maybe you're not, you're not into baseball, right? I, I was at this age. Okay. Well, like I was raised, I was raised playing baseball and my dad was my coach most of the time. So maybe uh-huh. I don't, but like, even like in any sport that I played, you know, like I wasn't good at any sports, let's be clear. Sure. Um, but, but you know, like I, you know, my dad, you know, he wasn't like dropping me off at baseball practice and like not really understanding what was happening on the field. You know, he was very invested no. in sports or whatever. No, no. What I'm, I'm saying more like from your point of view, like you're, your dad has an expectation maybe for like what you, he thinks you can do. And I think it's the same thing here for Mando. Like, I I think Mando knows that the kid is more capable than he's letting on. And he like wishes that he could see that. Mando doesn't know the rules of the baseball diamond. He doesn't really know. He doesn't doesn't know what's about to happen. He doesn't know what's about. He doesn't know like there's three outs and nine innings or whatever. He just knows he's putting his kid on a rock and just stepping back and letting us do his thing and waiting for a Jedi to show up. He knows enough to be disappointed when the kid is not doing something Jedi-like and is just chasing butterflies. Yeah, which is great. Yeah. But so <laughs> the kid is the kid is distracted by the butterflies and then Mando gets distracted by something else that's flying through the sky, which is unmistakably Slave 1. I in my head, well because if you've played uh, X-Wing Alliance, that you see, uh, the, I forget the name of that ship, the model of it, but you, but your brother in that game flies that model ship. And uh, so in my head, I was like, let's not get our hopes up because, uh, you know, that looks like the Slave 1, but there are other versions of that ship in the Star Wars universe that I know of, so let's not go too crazy here. Unfortunately, you were wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, unfortunately for a couple of reasons. One, because um, that was our bet back in episode 9 or chapter 9, um, in which the you we saw Boba Fett at the end of that episode, and we, I bet that he wasn't going to come back, and except in a different medium or on a return to Tatooine, and you bet that he was going to show up later on the series, and he definitely did. So I will definitely take my, uh, you I'll you can I'll take my licks from you at this point. I will see that I I did not predict that it was going to take place on another planet. I didn't think that Boba Fett had the means to leave Tatooine. I think it's interesting that he was on Tatooine this entire time and that he had a ship there available to him. That is weird. Especially with Cobb Vanth. Like, if if Cobb Vanth is right there with his armor the whole entire time and he had to... Like, all you have to do is hover the Slave One over Cobb Vanth's house and just be like, give me the armor. And Cobb Vanth is like, okay, here you go. Like, or like... How hard is it to rob the Jawas? Right. Well, I, I guess he maybe didn't know that the Jawas had it. and Maybe he hadn't crawled out of the Sarlacc pit yet. We don't really know. Because, I mean, doesn't the Sarlacc... Oh, t- he was not in there that long. Yeah, I mean, like, unless he was eating the Sarlacc. What, what if they do... Because, like, the Sarlacc takes, like... Isn't C-3PO's it's like line, hundreds like, of years, right? Right. But, like, what if, what if, like, Boba Fett was just stuck in there, but there is something that the Sarlacc produces that's edible? Oh, God. Like, so he just was subsisting inside of the Sarlacc for so <laughs> he, like, just pull off, like, a chunk of whatever's inside of it and just eat it. And then one day he just, like, came across, like, a, a pike or something inside of the Sarlacc and this cut his way out. And the Sarlacc crawled out into the sand to die or something. And then he just was stranded. And this is my, my head cannon for Boba Fett. And I can't wait to actually find out what happened and how wrong I was. But this sounds like one of those, uh, like, independently produced youtube series like every episode sort of feels like a bottle episode because every episode takes place in the same exact small environment it's like a single set that would be a really funny series it's just boba fett in the bottom of the sarlacc god 
It's just, yeah. Well, I mean, so that this is, this is, that's sort of echoing what I felt about last episode. <laughs> no, there's so much potential. Wait, we need to explore this. We need to explore this more. Like, it's Boba Fett in the bottom of the star, like, every episode, except you need some variety, right? Like, most of the time, it's just him alone. It's what spits, it's what the Sarlacc swallows that day. Exactly. It's, it's, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's like whose job of feeding or Jabba's dead, I guess. So it's whoever's feel like what Tuscan Raider is throwing in, like what prisoner, or just like what falls like what, in, what speeder. Yeah, like what vehicle falls in <laughs> that gets digested. Like a tiger shark just eats suits of armors, and like the Sarlacc just eats random things that are thrown at it. That's yeah. really funny. Um, okay, I like this idea. But in general, this kind of echoes what you're saying about fan film or like YouTube series. That's sort of what the the last episode with Ahsoka kind of struck me as. It had it smacked of like a a fan film, and Filoni is is by by and large like not just he's he's much more than a fan filmmaker. Obviously, he is the maker now. But in in terms of like a lot of the action um, and like the, the the production on it, it was very. It, it, it sort of struck me as like, remember that Power Rangers fan film that came out like five years ago, six years ago, yep. something like that. Mm-hmm. It, there was like a famous Power Rangers fan film that came out that was like, not I don't know how, how high budget was, but it was very stylized. It was made by pros. Like these were people who work in the film industry and they, they had an idea. And yeah. They, had, they cast like James Vanderbeek in, in, in a role and a couple others. And uh, it was really dark and gritty for Power Rangers. Um, you know, probably maybe influenced the new Power Rangers reboot that happened a few years ago, but not in a concrete way. And um, yeah, in general, it was just like, why are, I don't know, it, it just, it had that feeling, like I felt like I was watching a fan film in this, in like how serious it was taking itself, um, which is not like, I don't know how you can slight a show for taking itself seriously, but it was like almost too seriously, like Ahsoka was too dark in a way. I get that she goes into different places and Dave Filoni is the ultimate expert on Ahsoka because he created her and worked with this character and formed her and kind of just, you know, he knows her inside and out. And I understand that what he says is fact, but to me it was just like, it's very serious. Um, and I don't know, very fan filmy to me, but in the, you know, maybe, maybe in a way it is a fan film. Well, isn't it all? I mean, like, again, yeah. these, they're able to pull in, pieces of of whatever they want and play with it in whatever way they want so with Filoni he gets to play with his own characters those are things that he created right I guess that's IP in general you know like when you see like a a director getting a Marvel property or whatever you know or or adapting a book or something you know it's it's you know whatever liberties they take with that like High Fidelity got remade uh, recently which is very good Uh, I enjoyed it um but it, you know, it's like there's a lot of liberties taken with that, and it's like it's not a fan film. It's it's this is this is part of the IP, and so I don't know what what separates fanfic and fan productions from IP is usually just the studio who owns it producing it. I guess whoever owns the rights to it is the one, you know, pulling the trigger on these projects. But um, I think the spirit of fan film is always in these things. So I guess maybe my assessment in that is not too far off. Um, but there's just something different. You know, it's like the battle of kylo ren and luke skywalker on crate versus like ahsoka there's something there's something a little bit different and i don't know if it was budget i don't know if it was cinematography i don't know no, what it was. i know what you're saying i think it's probably a combination of a lot of those things um costuming but, but more knows? more than anything it's like they're still playing in the sandbox with all this live action stuff everything that we've had so far solo rogue one the sequel saga mandalorian it's all playing within the confines of what we already know and the Mandalorian stepped away from that more than anything else so far, but they pull in those elements like Boba Fett 
mm-hmm. or Bo-Katan or Ahsoka, we have these familiar elements that make it still feel sort of like right. we're playing with, with elements that already exist in the fandom. So I, I think it's until we start getting live action uh, material that is different, uh, is set in a different time, is set with different characters that doesn't necessarily play into the whole Skywalker saga. Um, it's going to feel like that. And, you know, to be fair, like that is what the Mandalorian is. It's not directly tied into the Skywalker saga per se, but it is, it is tangential in that they have connective tissue. Right. So until Brian Johnson gets to direct whatever it is he gets and, you know, write it from scratch and, you know, stay true to the spirit of Star Wars while not necessarily leaning on uh, existing IP, I think it is just inherently going to feel that way. Okay. Anyway, back to the tragedy. Sorry for that detour. Um, yeah, so Slave One shows up, Boba Fett gets out, and um, sort of like, I don't know. I, I feel kind of weird about this reintroduction to the character because they're like, we've already seen him. Twice. Flashes him twice. Yeah. And he he comes out of um, the Slave One and... <sighs> Like Mandalorian kind of is, is kind of trying to approach him sneakily ish and Boba Fett kind of just shoots a lot and we have this sort of standoff, which is very Robert Rodriguez now that I think about it. This this standoff, it's like, you know, well I have a sniper and he's like, Well, you'll be dead before I see the muzzle flash and he's like, Well, my sniper is not aiming at you, he's aiming at your little one. Um but anyway, uh it's 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 more just like the reveal of Boba Fett is like he pulls the hood down and it's just this mangled. Uh, it's the actor who played Jango Fett. He's all mangled and because he's essentially he's a clone of Jango Fett that's supposed to age a lot slower. That's that's the Boba Fett thing. He ages normally, I guess not not just a lot slower, just not as fast. Um, and he's you know he's been through hell. He's but he's the actor is very much aged uh, and mm-hmm. probably not intended to reprise this role. I think it works. I mean, it, it makes sense to me. Like we, we do see some of the clones later on, like in, in clone wars. And I think in rebels, like we, we get a glimpse of some of the clones who are, you know, who do age faster down the line. So it's, it makes sense to me. Like enough time has passed that it makes sense for him to actually be the age that the actor actually is. So, yeah, you know, I mean, that makes sense. There's nothing weird about that to me. It's more just like, uh, what we end up seeing. Um, so, so we have the, the person who was, Left for Dead on Tatooine by the Mandalorian? Yeah, so this is Fennec Shand, uh, who Mando recognizes immediately when she speaks. Um, that scene where she was basically left to dead, but then somebody kind of sidles up to her, and there was you know some speculation as to who that would be, and maybe that was Boba Fett. Well, it was Boba Fett, and basically he <laughs> saved her. Um, he gave her some new hardware, like her innards. Was she a cyborg beforehand? I don't remember. Like her character was either. so unmemorable to me before. I don't. I don't recall. It's been too long since that I've whole episode was that. like really messed up. Was that a, who was the the guy in that episode that we didn't like? He was um, just like that new bounty. Was hunter. it Cannavale? Was he? I don't know. He reminded me of Bobby Cannavale. Like I thought he was like his son or something. I don't. I don't remember. I, I think maybe you recognized him from something else, but it, he wasn't somebody. That I was didn't. Familiar. I recognize his name. Like he has the same name, or like he he's he's the son of somebody famous. I feel like I have to look it up. For some reason, in my head, I thought he was just weird, like a weird looking Bobby kind of So anyway, um, before we meet these people, like the reason why he has to get away from, he leaves Grogu up on the mountain is because Grogu started engaging with the Force, I guess, on this, this seeing stone. Yeah. And there was that cool little moment where that kind of parallels uh, things that we've seen in, in the sequel trilogy where, you know, 
Grogu sort of puts his hand flat down on the stone and then engages with the force. That's something that we've seen with Ray and her training with Luke. Uh, I thought that was mm-hmm. like a fun little parallel and little, little nod. Right, right. Um, but then, yeah, the, like there's this huge force column that basically comes out from <laughs> Grogu and goes up into the sky, sort of in the way that I, I thought about that, like Jedi beacon that we talked about mm-hmm. in the Duel of the Fates episode. Um, yes, yes, yes. It kind of had that vibe to me. I, I believe it's three times that the Mandalorian tries to penetrate this <laughs> force dome. Yeah, he bridges on insanity there. Yeah, well, that's why this is why I don't like this episode uh, as much as I liked the Car Weathers directed episode is because it just doesn't. It's like, like, what is the Mandalorian doing? Like, what? Like, does he actually think he's going to get through? And like, it, well, like he's they're so not doing right. Like. Well, they're not doing a good enough job then telling, like showing me his desperation and like, like I can't see the emotion in his eyes that he really thinks that this is going to be the time that he gets through. Like he tries three times to get through this. And I know we're skipping over some action in between these things and we'll get to that. But like, it's really just like, he's not doing anything different anytime. Like at least like throw a grappling hook in or something and like try and grab the, yank the kid out of there. Like (laughs) try and knock the kid off the, the rock or something like stun him. You know, there's, there's just, it's the same, it's the definition of insanity. Yes, exactly. You know, it's just him, he's trying the same, same exact thing. He's just pushing into it and being like, maybe this time I'll reach him. And like, people are stupid in that way. Like, I'm, I'm definitely stupid in that sense where I will do the same thing three times. Well, we're trained by movies, right? There's that rule of threes. Like every time he does it, it, it feels like, okay, he's getting further. Like this time he's going to do it by force of will because he really cares about this kid. And then, you know, it flips it on its head and it, it sends him back flying and the third time he gets knocked out for like 10 minutes it seems to only serve the script and to like occupy the mandalorian for five seconds it's like well we we, you know like it would be so easy to dispatch all these stormtroopers so we need to have the mandalorian be knocked out so that it's a struggle for boba fett and fennec and also so that boba fett can go back to the razor crest and get his armor but it's also tension like it's it's it creates that leg shaky moment where you're like oh my gosh like the the stakes do seem high the 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 empire is here they know where the kid is sure and he can't get the kid out from where he is he has no control over what's happening because the you know these force abilities are way beyond anything he's ever dealt with before it's not like the kid is stuck in a inside of a female quarren he's he's stuck <laughs> in a, something he cannot get into i just uh i i mean it, it really is just like i they didn't sell me on his desperation i guess like yeah. i understood the stakes were high um and that like he it's like we really got to get going but it's like this person's supposed to be resourceful like i want to believe that he knows what he's doing again it's like I guess I think he's just almost incompetent in a lot of situations. Like Like, the Mandalorian is capable. We've talked about this. Like he's capable, but he's, he's almost jaded in, in some of the earlier missions that we see him on because they're more or less pretty straightforward. Like he has certain kinds of missions that he's tasked to do for bounties. And usually it's the same kind of thing. He's hunting down some dumb criminal or, you know, some, some sort of bounty. And it's, usually the same thing over and over again. But the more he gets deeper and deeper into this, you know, conspiracy involving the kid, uh, the more trouble he's going to wind him, you know, wind up running into, especially now that the force is involved because the kid's been more or less activated. So yeah, I I don't know. I, I, I get what you're saying. Like it is hard to read desperation on him mostly because we can't see his face. Yeah. You lose out on a lot of that emotion. I, I thought enough of it got across to me. It's like, he really like he's, he's probably, panicking to the point that he would he is 
a bounty hunter. He's a Mandalorian. He's for the most part, pretty calm, cool and collected. But this is about as tight as it gets. He's on a planet with a bunch of people like he, he's already engaged with two people. He doesn't he can't trust. Right. They want something from him. So he can't trust them. So he, now the Empire is here. And even though those guys don't seem to be fans of the Empire either, like he needs to get out of there and he can't because the kid's caught up. Um, so it worked for me. Like the tension was enough. But I, I totally get what you're saying as far as not maybe going far enough. I just don't know why you can't write him to do try try anything else. You know, it, it's just well, what's he gonna do? It Shoot it? Like seem... what? What does the Mandalorian yes. do? He yes. shoots stuff. He he blows fire. He's resourceful. I don't know. Show me that he's intelligent. You know, like he's he's. It just doesn't show me an intelligent well, person. He's who... not intelligent around this area. I mean, at the beginning of this thing, he was looking around the base of the rock for a button. Right. I mean, <laughs> I understand. That's the whole. That goes into the whole thing about the dad not really know what's going on, and I'm totally into that premise but at the same time he needs to not like like if the dad needs to go get his son off the baseball field and you know the, the kid is chained down by invincible chains like the dad's like like show like i can see the dad struggling and being like helpless and like really like without that emotion on the face i guess you can't really sell it in that way but it's like how do you show me that he's trying anything different or that he's that much more determined on the second or third time that's the thing is that like he he goes back a third time to try and get this kid yeah. and it's like how how am i believing i don't know that it, like i know the stakes around him are are worsening but like i don't know that he's really like he, i just can't see it in his face i can't see him being injured cuz he's just in armor and he just woke up from being knocked out and just like well i guess You're i'll right. walk back towards this thing now and reach my hands into it again and not You're get right. any farther it's not it's not even that he's not even getting closer each time yeah. It's just like I, a stronger force knocking him back. You're right. Like it, it works for the audience. It works for the script and for, you know, making the events of this episode take place. It does not make sense for the character. Right. I mean, that's just where I'm getting at. It's, it's, it's like, I understand why it happened, but I just don't agree with I'm it. With you. And I'm with you. it's fine. Um, so uh, we have Boba Fett who jumps into his armor and uh, seeing him in his well, arm. No, no, no. Slow down. Oh. You're, you're going way too, way too fast Wait, because the really? best part of man. Yes. The best part about Boba Fett in this entire thing is him using that like Tuscan Raider staff to mess up a crap ton of stormtroopers shattering plastic all over the place. It's the most vicious battle I have ever yeah. seen. Like I, there's there has been no stormtrooper fight as cool as this in live action. Hands down. I mean, we the last season ended of the show with uh, the the Mandalorian female uh, like iron person doing the exact same thing okay that's, Shatter, that's i guess that's true. shattering stormtrooper helmets it was, a, it was the exact same thing that happened last season like i i don't think like i think it was cool either way like i'm not arguing that it's not cool and it's not fun to watch i just love the way it was shot like I, the camera angles were really interesting and different i'm not yucking your yum here i think it was good and i agree with you it was fine action and it was fun and i and the per the actor really sold me as far as like doing the work I, I see what you're where you're going with this like but we haven't seen this character in th in so many years i know and that's why i think it's great listen listen this this is what it's important about those fight scenes the audience's love for boba fett is based on so very little like think about how much we actually get to see boba fett in the original trilogy he was a loved yeah, character before the prequels and he doesn't do anything but the idea of him was so solid in people's minds like we think of him as this like really cool and capable bounty hunter with this awesome armor everybody's idea 
of Boba Fett actually out did what we actually saw of him. So being able to see him actually doing this hand-to-hand combat really supports that model of him better than anything we've seen before. So yes, okay, maybe there was some cool Stormtrooper crushing action in the first season that I forgot about. I really should have rewatched the first season. But this was awesome because it's Boba Fett who is doing basically what we all imagine him doing. And he's doing it using the tools that are available to him. He doesn't have his armor at this point. He's using that Tusken Raider staff because he's been basically a hermit like Obi-Wan was on Tatooine sure. for even a, a, probably a longer period of time. No, not even close. Four years. I mean, the Return of the Jedi is when this happened. We're okay, how yeah, far yeah, yeah, we're, right. we're right. maybe like a year out. Like this is what I doesn't recant. make sense to me. How did he lose? How did he gain so much weight? <laughs> I'll tell you that, uh, that bile is real tasty. Yeah, the bile inside of the... All right, so anyway, like, okay, maybe the age is right, but, like, we're not in the sequel trilogy. We're, like, a year outside of Return of the Jedi or something, and, like, like seeing yeah. Boba Fett show up in his armor had the exact opposite effect of what I think it was supposed to be. I watched him show up, and Aaron and I were just both, like, we both... I, I don't even want to say it out loud because I think it's, A, body shaming, and, B... It's probably a meme that is just being used uh, way too often. But, like, he doesn't look good in the armor, okay? I thought he looked fine. I'm sorry. He does not look cool in that armor. He looked fine. It looks so ill-fitting. I mean, who looked cooler, him or Cobb Vanth? Like, Cobb Vanth is a lot skinnier, I guess. Neither. What I'm saying is that neither of these char- none of these <laughs> actors look good in this armor, and it just doesn't work. It Like, it's just... It is... To me, it was just like, like I, I liked watching him with the with the staff, and I mean, sure, a year on Tatooine inside a Sarlacc or whatever, or two years or whatever we're at, fine. He's gonna do something to you. Um, he's seen some stuff, and he's he's like, you can train a year to learn these things, but like, it doesn't make sense to me that, like, I don't, I don't know what they're trying to like. I it, to me, it just didn't look cool. It looked like another fan film. I felt like I was at Comic Con seeing a guy in Boba Fett armor who just doesn't fit the build. That's fair, but I mean, like, I, I think that could be explained. Like, you know, a Comic Con guy, sure, like he's just a fan. Um, but this is Boba, and Boba has been through some stuff, and he's gonna be a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, factually, it's Boba, and it's fine. I just, I, I'm just saying from this is purely from like a, a visual standpoint, it didn't look cool. Think about the stuff under the armor, okay? Like, the the armor stays a consistent size. He had different clothing on, presumably, when he went into the Sarlacc than the, you know, the kind of, like, Tatooine garb he was wearing when he eventually was reunited with his armor. He's wearing different under stuff. So is that could could that potentially explain? I don't know why I'm defending him in his his wardrobe because it's not important to me. No, he looks big in his cloak. He looks and he looks big in the armor. Like, it looks like, it's like the opposite of Cobb Vanth. The armor didn't quite fit uh, Timothy Oliphant and like he had that saunter and that walk and like I thought he looked cool. it, 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 I mean I don't know I maybe I just have a really skewed perspective like I don't think the Mandalorian looks cool in half of the shots because it looks like he's walking like with a load in his pants like he just looks like he's really encumbered when he's walking in this armor this and that's why I said earlier the stormtroopers are the only ones who look like they are like somewhat functional because they've had a long time to work on this stormtrooper armor and they probably have enough of these things made and enough people that have to wear them that they have to make enough sizes that have to fit people. But with the Mandalorian armor, it just looks like he's just super heavy and uncomfortable the whole time. And like even Moff Gideon, when they show him walking in his outfit, it looks like, I mean, Moff Tarkin wore just a suit. 
and slippers. You know, it's it's all maybe it's some weird like Jedi Sith love that Moff Gideon has for like you know why he sort of dresses semi Vader esque, um, but it's just in general like nothing is practical. You know, and I feel that Star Wars is one of the more practical. Like, with, if Star Trek is like the ultimate practical kind of thing, like everybody wearing the same uniform, everything very efficient on the Star Trek Enterprise or whatever. Like, I think Star Star Wars is not too far behind it. You know, in terms of like we have all these, sure we have all this convenient technology, like the the gravity and in, in the ships and whatever, and we don't really worry about atmosphere and space and inertia and space and drift and resistance. Like, sure, we have a lot of granted things, but, like, people dress pretty comfortably in outer space in Star Wars. They they're, 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 they're lounging most of the time, and if not, they're in a uniform. And everybody in The Mandalorian looks so uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable universe. It is. There's a lot of sand. It gets in places. Yeah. All right, well, rushing ahead to the point when he actually gets the armor, um, I, I want to point out one thing that I really liked about this. Like, when he was in the armor, it's mm-hmm, like, yes, this mm-hmm. was inevitable. It made sense for him to, to go and grab it when he had the chance. Um, that is that is what he came here for. And presumably, like, he feels a lot more comfortable fighting the Empire while he's wearing his armor. The cool part about this was, like, there's that shot where he, he lowers his, like, tracking site and he fires those rockets at the escaping carriers, and they use like actual sound effects from the clone wars like this is actual clone era sound effects which just triggers so many nostalgic memories of playing like star wars battlefront one on my playstation 2 you know i just love that attention to detail you know we get to see from the point of view of the mandalorian inside his helmet every once in a while and it has that vintage feel but having those sound effects just like really brought it all home for me uh, I thought that was really neat. But yeah, he continues to kick ass when he gets his armor and it's pretty cool. Even if yeah. he doesn't fit it quite right. For sure. It's fine. I mean, he does some work and um, we uh, finally get what I was wa- waiting for this entire <laughs> series, which is the destruction of the Razor Crest. And yeah. I shouted for joy <laughs> when it happened because I truly despise that vehicle. As much as I loved seeing it in uh, the Siege, and uh, in the, the previous one, the, the Ice Planet one with the X-Wings flying around doing his thing, I just hate the design of it, and I'm glad it's gone. <laughs> it's just so funny. After so many rebuilds and repairs, like, over the course yeah. of two seasons, it's really gone through the ringer. To just see it so abruptly blown to pieces. They made it look was... really nice at the end of the siege, too. Like, when you pick that thing up, it looked good coming out of that episode. Yeah. And, uh, like, shiny and new and, and functional and... Then we just got it just blown to bits. Not even just like shot to like, oh, I got to patch up the hole or like close up the yeah, cockpit. Like there's no coming this, back from this. No, 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 no. Like this is, it's not, it's like that, that old philosophical thing where like you have this old revolutionary battleship or whatever, you know, uh, and uh, in order to maintain it to these times, you have to replace enough parts on it. So at what point is it a new ship? You know, at what point is it, is it still the same ship if you've replaced every piece on it? No, it's like philosophically not probably. Right. And in this, there's no putting the ship back together. It's just like if you rebuild it, it's not the Razor Crest anymore. And why would you rebuild it? Because it is hideous. You know why? <laughs> um, anyway, so it's blown up and we I'm just like, well, it looks like that's why the Slave One showed up, uh, even though he just really stayed on Tatooine. I guess it would make sense. That the Slave One was still on Tatooine if he was only on Tatooine for a couple of years. I guess it's making more sense as I think about it. It does make sense that it's still there, but. I mean, if you think back to like any other similar planet, like 
Tatooine or Jakku, like things end up there and they are at, at some point generally taken over the force. No, I just mean like at some point the millennium Falcon became the property of Uncar Plutt. You know what I mean? Like it's sure. Presumably I, I guess not enough time had passed maybe for, for that to happen. Maybe he's locked up in impound. Who knows? <laughs> maybe the force, he, man. Yeah. It, it's hard to say. The force. But, um, okay. This, anyway, um, this kind of gets back to the, the part where we, we return to Grogu, uh, who has since passed out. Yes. <laughs> gets very tired after using the force. Um, and this is when those dark troopers arrive and it's really disappointing. Cause like they're dispatched and they have rocket shoes and they fly down like Astro boy and they land, they take the kid and then they immediately go back. Like there's no action with them whatsoever. Um, they don't even no like struggle. extend their limbs. Like they're just, they look like you know, they, they just fly straight. They land straight and then they take off straight. Like their they hands are at their sides him, like- the entire time. Like they don't, you don't even get to see the Mandalorian Boba Fett and uh, Fennec is her name. Um, that you don't even get to see them put up a fight with these things or take no. one or two of them down, or like you don't even get to see one of them like shoot it and like they think it's down for the count, but it gets right back up like RoboCop or like Terminator or whatever. Like you don't get that moment, and like well, okay, what's the point? Like okay, yeah. John Favreau wrote this and he just wanted to use some Iron Man assets. Like I don't get it entirely. <laughs> it's like it just doesn't make any sense to me why this was a necessary thing. I imagine we'll get more, we'll actually get some action from them in the future, but it did, it did feel like very bare minimum. Like, okay, well we got well, the, like, we have the models done for them in time. Um, and we, you know, they're, they're, the assets are ready for this episode where they're just standing at basically at attention in their pods on Moff Gideon's ship for the end of the last episode. Um, or yeah, I guess the, the ending of, of one of the last episodes, whichever one that was, but then they don't actually really do any more movement than we saw in that episode. Like the orientation, the angle at which they are facing is different. Like they're flying, they land, they take off, they get back on the ship. There, there was no point to them at all. Like they went and they fetched the kid. Um, they didn't need to send five of them to do that. You would think like if they're going to send five of them down there, at least just to, to just to make it worth having them in the show they could lay down some suppressing fire as the mandalorian and fennec are running back up the hill towards the kid you know what i mean like just yeah. to keep them at bay but you, i mean yeah, it's, we didn't it's even get that. hugely budgetary constraints probably and like it, by all means they look fine like everything looks good in this episode like it's always like i think some of the shots look corny i think some of the stormtrooper choreography like you loved it but like oh yeah i love those, those i think angles. it's weird like like it's just it's it's like they've spent so much time last season comically making fun of this like just making fun of the stormtroopers in a sense where like they're really bad shots they spent like four minutes just showing them shooting things that were really easy to hit that couldn't be hit and so like i get that they're a funny thing now but like their their tactics at like uh, attacking boba fett and and fennec were just like just running straight at them when they're holding ranged weapons like what are you doing like none of this makes sense why would you rush an opponent while you're holding a ranged weapon Who's, and, and the opponent has a melee. And that commander keeps like saying the exact same line. Like he keeps repeating over and over again, like, you know, go on, get up there. <laughs> it's it's not even comically bad. It's just like, it's like, wait, is, is, are they, I don't know if the writers don't get it or if they're, if like, if they're just really this stupid, but like opponent has melee weapon. You have ranged weapon. Do not run at opponent with melee weapon. That is kind of the the thing. Don't let them gain ground on you. I'm like, right. I'm not a tactician by any means. I'm a podcast editor, you know? Like, 
but it just seems silly that this is the finest Imperial training had, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe the recruits are really, maybe they haven't really instituted the first order, like baby kidnapping program that gets put in later with Finn and everybody, but like, mm, yeah. and maybe these are real dumbasses that are being, are joining the empire, but like, they're, they're clearly cannon fodder. Oh, okay. You know what I'm getting now is that they're cannon fodder. I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I, yes. I, this is like somebody who's has been shouting any, the one person that's listening to this is like been shouting at their iPhone or whatever this whole time being like, well, they're not there because they're trying to be great tacticians and like try no. to really kill these characters. They're being there so they can distract whoever from. So while the, the, the dark troopers go down and exactly so the, well, the stormtroopers like, exist have you have you seen the arl Knotts existential trooper video no i haven't okay I, i'll link it to it in the show notes watch it it's very funny it takes the the scenes where you have those two speeder bike troopers in, or in the last season of the mandalorian um you know talking to each other and they overdub it and they just like keep using the footage to make it like an 11 minute long video and they just talk about they get into the meta of stormtroopers and these two stormtroopers get to like this existential crisis where they start to realize that they're in a simulation and that they only exist to be cannon fodder. Right. That's okay. So that's good. I like that. That's exactly like the whole point of this. And it does bring up an interesting point that like to escape from that or to, to give the empire some sort of um, footing, because obviously they're, they're, white stormtroopers are completely useless in almost every single case. Um, they have to bring in these other special troopers, death troopers or dark troopers or, you know, whatever. They have like these special ops forces that actually pose a threat. <laughs> Whereas all these other ones are just like, they're just there to, to get mowed down. That's cool. I like that. I mean, I don't like that, but at the same time, it's really messed up. Yeah. But watch this video. You'll get a kick out of it. Thank you to Matt Caldwell for sending that to me uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was a great watch. And we had the slave one. Uh, Boba Fett goes back to his ship and chases them down. And like, I don't know why this is surprising. Like, or why this is weird. Like, I don't know what's happened and where in Aftermath we were. But like the Imperial Navy was still out there after Battle of Endor. And like, it's well known that the Empire is still like reaching, to, like retreating to the Outer Rim or whatever. This whole series takes place in the Outer Rim, I'm, I'm guessing, is what I'm starting to realize. Like, that's why he can fly between planets, I guess, without hyperdrives. And when Fennec is like, that's impossible, the Outer Rim is under jurisdiction of the New Republic. And, like, we know that that, that the Outer Rim was where Snoke went. Uh, he, he, he started up in the Outer Rim somewhere. The Mandalorian has to take place, like, around or slightly before the Battle of Jakku. Nope. It was four years after. Which was, like really the end of the galactic mm. empire project cinder right is the that was in aftermath right or is that in battlefront 2 battlefront 2 right yeah i think like project cinder was like i guess i think it was what i'm taking it as with my limited knowledge is that it is cloud cover for the first order so like project cinder was like let's burn out the empire in a bright ball of flame and make the New Republic think they got us while the First Order can retreat to the Outer Rim and regroup and re and we have like the prod we have the the fallback plan from the Empire creating the clones like somebody up high it's like it's like an iPhone development somebody up high knows what's going on all the underlings kind of just do what the person up top and who knows the future says yeah Cinder was um, one of the last last breaths that happened in four ABY uh, and Jakku happened in five ABY. Okay, so, yeah, so I, I imagine we're some somewhere after Operation Cinder then and before 
After Jakku, then. Yeah, after Jakku. Okay. Django Fett is very surprised at seeing the... That's a Venator-class, like, Star Destroyer, I think. You'd be the one to ask. I don't know. It looks like the things in in, in uh, Squadrons that I think are Venators, and you see them also in Battlefront. Um, but yeah, so anyway, that, that ship is there, and that's Moff Gideon's flagship, I guess, which is nothing compared to some of the Star Destroyers we've been talking about in the past few weeks. But... um. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a ship, and it goes to hyperspace straight from the planet's surface, which is just I, that's something they've been toying with in canon recently, is like hyperspacing in and out of atmosphere, and like the whole thing in Legends, I guess, which is why it's Legends now, probably, is that like you can't hyperspace so close to a planet because of the gravity, and like they use specific things called gravity wells to draw ships out of hyperspace, and that's why hyperspace coursing is so important, is because you know, if you go too close to a star or a black hole or whatever, then you will get pulled out of hyperspace and possibly to, like fly through a thing. They doesn't, it doesn't matter. These are things that don't matter, but they're things that sort of bother me is like watching a star destroyer parallel to the horizon as parallel as you can be in a round cert, like sphere. Um, and just going into hyperspace straight off of like a tangential, like it's like the tangent of the arc that they're going off on. And to me, that's like just a, weird thing like you think that it would have to elevate out of the atmosphere and then kind of direct itself in a direction and then go but instead it just hyperspace is straight out of the like straight ahead as if it's like an airplane flying around the planet or whatever um do you think that there's any flat earthers that are like star wars fans and what they say i don't know or care (laughs) probably there are a lot of stupid people that are fans of star wars I need to talk to a flat earther about Star Wars because I'm like, all right, so you, you think the Earth is flat, but like, what? and you love Star Wars and you see very clearly that every planet in Star Wars is is round. Do you treat like that as like fantasy? Do you really, like, I mean, obviously Star Wars is fantasy. We know it's fiction, but are you just looking at that like, wow, what a creative thing that they did this by making these planets round, you know? Is is that, maybe that's why they think the Earth is flat because Star Wars Those is people are so bacon. dumb. They, they would use it as proof that our Earth is flat. Oh my God, I love, I, I need to talk to, we need to get a flat, Bantha fodder with a flat earther. Anyway, um, okay, uh, we get the retcon of the century, which is somewhat disappointing and weird to is me. It? Well, I mean, if you have Filoni and like whoever else in the Mandalorian arcs and Clone Wars going out of their way to say that Jango Fett is nothing but a common criminal, like what reason did they have to say that he was like not a foundling or not a Mandalorian? Why talk bad about, did he, I mean, is it because he, is it purely because he was like an under, like underbelly, like CD criminal? I mean, he was the basis of the clone army. You know, you'd think right. that they would say they would want to, to tout him as like a Mandalorian. It doesn't make sense. Well, okay. So, so this is canon. All this is canonized is that Jango was a foundling, right? Yeah. That's, that's mm-hmm. all that was said. And that the armor was given to him by the Mandalorians because he fought in the war. Sure. I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. Like this, this this fits for me like it's okay like i think you can both be a foundling and be and be a mandalorian that sort of like goes on his own path and you know goes for the money with the the cloning and all that like it that's fine like we're the whole point of this show is really examining what it means to be a mandalorian sure but i just don't get why the mandalorians would smack talk that like you have the bo-katan crew who is like there can be many different types of Mandalorians, and they seem open to the idea of having different Mandalorians. Whereas, you and then you have the the, I, you know what they've said, said his name a million times or a few times in the show, and I don't know what the Mandalorian's name is. But Dude. we have the Mandalorian, 
and he is very rigid in his what a Mandalorian is, and this is the way, and this is the only way, and whatever. So, like, you have these two groups that are just either really rigid in what a Mandalorian is, and or really not. And so, would you say that the guy who said he's not a Mandalorian, I thought he was a bad guy when, and one of like somebody who would be in with Bo-Katan. I still haven't finished the arc yet, so I don't know. <laughs> but so there's but there is, a lot of factions, and there everybody has their own belief on you know what what it means to be a Mandalorian. Yeah, the Mandalorians just don't know what the hell they're doing. No, they don't. Like it, they were all so fractured. They're like Americans, you know. <laughs> they were all fractured, and that's just yeah. sort of the way it is. And and so it, it it jives with me that like it it never made sense completely for Boba Fett to just be like this guy who ended up with the armor. Like that was never explained, right? Like it was never explained how he got the armor anyway. So what was the what was the expectation that he killed somebody and then took their armor? Like he killed a Mandalorian and then just took it and just kind of paraded around in it. Was that the idea? Like, I don't know. Like this, this is fine for me. I mean, he's like, I think it was just that he was a Cobb Vanth bounty hunter esque type of person. And he just had, he, this is how he looked. And then they decided to bring Django fed into the, the attack of the clones. And then they had to figure out what, well, is he a Mandalorian? And then they had the Mandalorians disavow him in the clone wars. And, Boba Fett grows up and just becomes a common bounty hunter. And I mean, he's an extraordinary bounty hunter. Let me be clear about that. But he's, but he's, you know, he's looked down upon by the Mandalorians outside of the clan. And then he just gets eaten by a Sarlacc and a year or two later wakes up and he's just, I, I really don't know. Like, it just seems like, it just seems like a very blatant, like, well, there's some people who are going to have some issues with this and we want to give Boba Fett his armor back. So let's just find out a way for them to meet a happy medium. It's it's just like a retcon for the sake of retconning. Like, I just don't know why. I would have much rather seen him force the Mandalorian to give him the armor. Or like the Mandalorian be like, you know what? Maybe Mandalorians can really be anything you want. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's the whole... I think that's the like one of the major points of this show. And what do you mean? But it didn't happen. It was like, oh, it was just reinforcing that Mandalorians can only be one thing. Like you if you're not a Mandalorian unless you are deemed a Mandalorian by other Mandalorians. Mm-hmm. I mean, even and if he's he like, hasn't like followed the the creed of the Mandalorian his entire life, like it was enough for Din Armando to understand that like okay, he he was a found like his father was a foundling. That means, you know, this is his birthright in some way. Like there are a lot of rules to his own sect that he's, you know, still following, but also this guy saved his ass (laughs) and is also now pledging to stick with him. Like Mandalorian keeps collecting friends. It's like the party keeps growing. It's like a, it is sort of RPG ish in that way. Yeah, that's fine. And like, I like that, but I just also just don't get the need to prove that he's a Mandalorian. Like if, if, this character is really growing and seeing that like the, maybe this is not the way just give the dude his armor back. It was his armor. It, like all we have to show is like, no, this is my armor. Look, my, my, whatever is in here. Like why retcon something that, that I think Filoni had a really big hand in like, you know, like somebody had to sign off. Like George Lucas had to like, somebody had to give the thumbs up to, to like audibly and vehemently asserting that, Mandalorian that I'm sorry that that Boba Fett is not a Mandalorian like somebody made that conscious decision and this is a conscious decision to say no to that like I would love I mean I wonder if George Lucas even cares anymore but like I would just like to know what he thinks of that 
I would like to know what Dave uh, Filoni thinks of that. Like, and I'm sure like there's probably a very like um, kind of the same thing that I've been bringing up is that like, okay, maybe it's just for fun. Just this is just a, this is just a show about for children or like for fantasy fans or like whatever. And this is just a fun old show. Stop thinking too hard about it. And that is 100% the case. And I admit that. But it just seems like, you know, it's, it's make, they made a decision that goes back on somebody else's decision. That is a retcon. And it doesn't really seem like it doesn't seem like it was the only way to do it. Like, I just think it could have just been his armor. <laughs> and that would have made more sense to the development of this character. Yeah. But again, like... I don't I, I don't know enough about the encoding in in armor to yeah. to prove that it's it's someone's I don't know if that would be enough for this Mandalorian, right? Like it seems like he is really um he's really focused on like the history of of a person and like do they are they actually Mandalorian? Did they take the creed? Like these are the questions that are important to him as per, you know, somebody's ownership of of something it doesn't matter it necessarily that it was passed down to them from their father uh unless their father was a foundling that seemed to be the deciding factor yeah i don't know anyway yeah. boba fett is canonized he's now in the he's now joined the party which is cool i guess now we have two uh some sort of mandalorians they need to find a way to make him look cooler in the subsequent episodes like they there's a way to make boba fett like look good again and I don't think that armor is the way. Like, I just go back and watch that scene again where they reveal him in the armor, and like, tell me it doesn't look like a guy at Comic Con. It passed for me. I don't know. My my standards for that are, I guess, a lot lower. Like, and I I generally you were just excited to see Boba again. I think. Yeah, well, sure. Like, I'm not like it, it, I'm not like a huge Boba fanboy. I'm not like one of those people who are just you know Boba Fett, Boba Fett, Boba Fett. I like Boba Fett fine. He wasn't like one of my favorite characters growing up. Yeah, you like him more than me. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I probably like him more than you. And I, I think I generally care about costumes more than you. So I don't know why it, it, it doesn't bother me as much as, as you do. But it's fine. It's what it is. Like this is a TV show. Um, the budget isn't quite as high as the movie. Maybe that can explain some of it. Maybe some of it is more like they just really wanted to have this guy re recast in the role like they really wanted to have him in it they thought it was important to have him back in the role because they could and you have to just sort of take with that what, what yeah. you can uh, like you have the guy you have the armor sure yeah i mean that's that's what i take i take that i take that uh, the i take that they brought the original actor back well to a degree we know who the real boba fett actor was and this is not him which is you know it's fine uh, it can't be him. But canonically, this makes sense because we never saw that actor's face as as Boba. Yeah. Yes. That, right. That, that's what I'm saying. So I'm glad. I'm grateful that they brought him back. I'm grateful that they. He is like, regardless of how many years he spent on Tatooine and became like a monk or whatever, uh, Boba Fett version. I don't know. I think they could think a little bit harder about how they're going to present him in a costume. But in general, I think they're going the right way besides the costume and the retcon. Like, there just needs to be some changes, the evolution, if there's, this is going to be the Boba Fett we have from the future. Like, I think we, we're going to need some... Somebody needs to think more about how we're presenting this character and what we're going to do with him because he was... Like, his character was mystery. Like, that was what drove this character. And... You know, it was almost like it was almost a joke how people loved him and how badass everyone thought he was when he had like two seconds of screen time and really just fell into a sarlacc and that was his the end of his thing. You know, so I think that we're going to like 
to, to, to dive into this character and suddenly just give him, you know, I mean, he had more dialogue in this episode than he had in the entire six movies that there are like, however many movies he was only in two movies. So yeah, I mean, it just, it's going to be a weird thing to see this character on screen. Yeah. And well, who knows how long he'll actually be on screen, right? Like there are two episodes left of the season. Um, sure. He could he may, it, Yeah. It could be the end of him here, which would be sort of fitting. Like I think people have been waiting for Boba to come back for a long time, at least just to crawl out of the pit. I think that's what people yeah. have been waiting for. And I think that's all that's really necessary for this character. Um, yeah. If he can redeem himself in some way by helping the Mandalorian and Grogu, then great. That's, I think that's a sure. fair end for, for this character. He, he got what I he just, wanted. Like he, he, he got his armor. <laughs> um, yeah. Sure. Works for me. Okay. Um, last, last element of this plot is that they go back to whatever the planet is that, um, considering that they spend a lot of time there, we should probably figure that out at some point. I know. I just, I just can't be, I can't be bothered to care. I didn't think that the planet was that important, <laughs> but they have the sets. So <laughs> it's, uh, but it's Cara Dune is now in the empire. She joined, I mean, I'm sorry. She's, she, whoa. She joined the new Republic. She joined, she didn't, she stopped don't joining and she decided to join. Um, well, she just really liked the shiny metal thing. Yeah. She just likes, she liked the thing. She's we don't see her critter again. So cool. Um, but she does assert like the Mandalorian is like, we have to save the child. And she's like, Oh, now I'm going to help you do whatever it takes. Whereas before she was like, I kind of got to follow some rules now that I'm in the new Republic. And, um, did you, I, I imagine as soon as I saw this, did you pull those frame for frame, all those mug shots? Did you grab them? No. Like, um, I, I feel like a very you <laughs> thing would be grabbing each frame of that. I looked at them. I, I looked at them both times that I watched the episode. I, I paused and went back a few times. There are a couple that flashed really quickly that I feel like were Easter eggy, but um, I don't know well, for sure. Well, there was the one Aqualish. I was like, mm, is that Ponda Baba? And I really want right. it to be. Um, I, like, I really want it to be. Like, if Dr. Evazan was in there, like... If it, if if Evazan was in there, then it definitely is Ponda Baba. If, it's, if he's not, then it could just be one of the Aqualish that, you know... Like she, sure. she started the season by hunting down some Aqualish thugs, so it's hard to say. But anyway, she um, she pulls up a picture of good old Bill Burr. We're bringing Bill Burr back for another heist episode or something. It's so clunky. It is so clunky, and this character was fun to see in space, but I just don't need him. Just leave him. Leave him. It's, it's fine. I, yeah, I'd be fine if they didn't bring him back, but okay. They have to jailbreak a guy who's in jail for jailbreaking, and now they're, they need to get him so they can jailbreak the kid. I... Yeah, it's just like the clunkiest plot I've ever seen. It is a weird way to move from point A to B, but the season is wrapping up, so they have to get somewhere. And I guess if this guy is the one that they know that has the expertise, like we know that Mando is is good at utilizing his contacts. Like he knows people who are good at certain things and he utilizes those people to his own ends in the same way that he's used by people that he knows for their own ends because he has a certain set of skills, you know? So... I guess in in the world of the, this Mandalorian and the way that he operates and the people that he comes into contact with, it does make sense. I just don't think it's super necessary to have Bill Burr back on screen. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. He's yeah. funny. He's got a Boston accent. I'm fine with it. But uh, <laughs> it's just like th- like weird ways for the show to go. This is one of them. Like, you have Boba Fett. 
you have Fennec. Like, yeah. okay, you've, you got you've your got crew. crew. <laughs> pick up, pick up, yeah, pick up Carl Weathers. Pick up Cara Dune. Like, pick them up. It's fine. Rebuild IG. Rebuild the IG droid. Get those Mandalorians that you made friends with. Like, get Bo-Katan. Aren't they looking for Gideon? For sure. Like, I mean, there's so many characters that are more interesting than Bill Burr. Like, I like his little gun on the shoulder type deal and his wisecracking, but like, I don't know. It'll be, a, it's going to be weird. Yeah. I, I think the end of this season is actually going to be a pretty big, uh, pretty big cast. Like, I think it would be crazy for Bo-Katan not to come back into play. I'm actually kind of sure. wondering about Ahsoka coming back in. She wants a dark saber. Um, but yeah, she wants a dark saber. She has to find Gideon anyway. Uh, now the Mandalorian is looking for Gideon. So like, they're all probably going to meet up at some point. My question on right. that is like, is Ahsoka going to be a part of that? Was this really all we're going to have for her this season? I thought we would get some more, um, but maybe this is it. Maybe, you know, we'll get, get something else from her later on. It's, it's really hard to say. I don't feel like we were given any hints on Ahsoka, uh, hmm. but I think everything else is leading for, you know, Bo-Katan and, and her group to, to rejoin with the Mandalorian it's going to pull in uh, Boba Fett. And we're really going to have this like trifecta of, of Mandalorians um, teaming up to, to take down this, at least this section of the empire Gideon's group, um, which is cool. But this, this episode, just to, to wrap up this part, it kind of ends with Gideon watching Grogu as he plays with his prison toys, being two more cannon fodder stormtroopers who are just being thrown around <laughs> like ragdolls as Grogu wears himself out using the force. It goes on for a while. Did you yeah. feel like that? Like, like yeah. this scene, like they really could have just had him clunk them. Like the door opens and he clunks them, but instead like, it's like, you know, like, all right, Moff Gideon's like, wait, hold on, hold on. Let's just yeah. wait. And then I feel like he tells him to wait like twice before he actually finishes the troopers. I just didn't see the need Maybe they're like this episode only runs twenty five minutes. We need to we need to stretch this thing out a couple more. Like it's funny, right? Like we get to watch the kid playing with the force, which is something that we like to watch. And also, like he's in a bad situation, so watching him enjoying anything is is nice. It's it's sort of comforting. Um, and then it gives us a little bit more of Gideon, and like Gideon has like a morbid curiosity about something, and if that's the force or specifically this kid. Uh, I'm not sure, but in any case, he's very happy with mm-hmm. what he sees. He strikes me as like a, like a Hux. A, like a sycophant. Yeah. Like he's just like a, he's really interested. He, he, he wants to be into this thing. Um, but he's not, he wants to be darker than he is. Do you think there's anything to this with Grogu playing with the dark side here? Is this, is this him playing with the dark side? Is this him just, you know, not really knowing what he's doing? Nah, like, Yoda would do this. This is Yoda would Yoda had like a great sense of humor and would just met he, like he would do this to two stormtroopers that were trying to shackle him, you know. Um, but he wouldn't get too tired afterwards unless he was nine hundred years old. Um, so I I don't know. It's um, I think this is this is where the mustache twirling comes in from Giancarlo Esposito. Like I think he just is doing his best, but I think he just like, I'm in a Star Wars thing and I'm the villain, so I'm going to be a villain. Like, I think he was so restrained and perfect in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, and I think it's unfortunate that you can play one of the, like, the best villains of all time and then be cast again as a villain in another thing and feel like, well, I don't want to be that villain I was in this other show, so I'm going to have to really try to be different here. And in this, it's like the, uh, 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 like, like, <laughs> could, you could, you could never in a million years see Gus Fring being like, uh, 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 you're you're too tired now. It makes you so sleepy. So and like, sleepy. yeah, he's like, it's like Count from from Sesame Street. It's like a, it's very, 
like I couldn't even see Hux doing this. You know, like Hux would not be like taunting a baby or something like that. He would have been like, just he would be sniveling and gross and whatever. But like, it's just weird that um, he it's just very villainy. And like Grand Moff Tarkin was not Grand Moff Tarkin was cold as ice and like, and just professional and just ugh, like just dagger to the like slit your throat kind of thing. And I don't doubt that Moff Gideon would do the same thing, but I just think the way he would do it is more like dramatic and it's very weird. And I guess he's wearing a cape and armor and stuff. So clearly he's got a flair for the dramatic, but in general, it's, it's just, it's a little much for me in terms of, I think my star Wars villains restrained or like <laughs> throwing temper tantrums like Kylo Ren, you know, like <laughs> Uh, yeah, Krennic was like a parody of himself. Like they, they wanted you to think Krennic was bigger than we thought he was, he was hot stuff. Like yeah. they want, like they had that and they had to have Vader put him in his place. Like, and, and Tarkin as well, like both Tarkin and Vader put Krennic in his place. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's awesome. And then Krennic gets it, uh, at the end of that movie. And it's more like, I just don't know. Like is 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 Moff Gideon the big bad? Is he like the number two now in charge? Like what happened to Ray Sloan? Right? Isn't that the Imperial commander in terms in charge of like Cinder and everything and like the Empire at the end of like an aftermath or whatever? Oh well, yeah. I mean, she's she's definitely in charge. But remember, isn't there like a there's like a coda to that first the first or the second aftermath book where she's talking to like some bigger power? I have not read the. I, I'm pretty sure it was the first one because I have not read the second two yet. Um, and I need to, yeah. because like, those are actually pretty important in, in terms of like post empire stuff. And they're fun. They're also really great reads. Wendig is a great writer. We're coming around to him. Um, I mean, that's, that's it, right? Yeah. That's it for these three. Like th th this was a very interesting set of, of three episodes. A lot happened. They're all very distinct in their own way. Like we get like the, you know, the gang gets back together in siege and then we get Ahsoka Tano and in the following episode. And then this last one, we, we have more pe members join the party and we, we get another, um, character sort of brought back to life, um, in, in live action, which is cool. So oh, a lot of movement. Um, it really kind of ups the stakes pretty high for these last two episodes. We're in a place where we have all of the important characters. It seems, um, Grogu has a name, but he's also now been taken into custody. And we know that the, the stakes for Grogu are pretty high because he's going to be used as a, a blood donor <laughs> for some sort of clone, probably Palpatine. Um, it's in, it's interesting. We're getting a lot more this season than I would have expected. Like a lot more has happened in season two than I would have guessed. Well, they're allowed to now, you know, like this is all stuff. They probably could have done 10 episodes or whatever, or like, you know, per season, they could have made this one season if they had really produced it in time or whatever but they're like well technically rise of skywalker hasn't come out yet i think so we can't reveal that there's clones in a tank or whatever yet <laughs> i think they'd probably um shown that the emperor was coming back right they, that was in june of the year and then mandalorian premiered in october or something of that year so like between it was only like three months i mean the mandalorian had ended by the time Rise of Skywalker premiered. So it makes sense, I guess, that they couldn't say anything too much and that they had to be really vague about why, what Baby Yoda was going to be. You but, know, one um, thing I've been thinking about, because last last time we talked about The Mandalorian, we talked about the the sort of monster of the week nature of the show. Yeah. I feel like this one felt 
like this this chunk of episodes these three felt a little less monster of the week like there was more of a through line like he was following something we still had like side quests um, but it felt less monster of the week but one thing that like i really wish this show would do to follow more in that doctor who style of of television making is that they would have like holiday specials you know not in the historic holiday special that we know for star wars um they do have a a lego holiday special that i hope we get to watch this year and talk about um but that they have a special episode like a one-off story that occurs you know usually it's it's released around the holidays it's sort of a mid-season break sort of thing to ramp you up for the next one i wish they would do that and i wish that they could do that with different characters like we could have one episode that you know more follows a character that we don't really get too much of in the plot of the Mandalorian or maybe another character in the Star Wars universe. I just wish they would kind of follow the logic that they have for, you know, this Lego one-off or I, I just like that idea of like a, a small self-contained story that doesn't have to fit into the big thing that you're making. It can tie in canonically, of course, but like it's its own thing. And it would be awesome to have something like that for Ahsoka or Cobb Vanth. I think it would be really cool to have like another, extension of Cobb Vance story just to see what's what's going on with him either before or after this like a life day thing is that what you're talking about no no I'm not talking about life day I'm saying not like the holiday special that we're familiar with in Star Wars I'm saying like you're you're not a Doctor Who fan so so maybe this is lost on you but don't say that with such disdain well no I, I mean like you wouldn't know if you hadn't watched it and maybe there are other right. I, I don't know if like Sherlock did this as well um, but it's it's like a very Moffat thing. You you have an individual episode that maybe bridges the gaps between two seasons, but is its own thing. It's not season one sure. of episode two. It's not season thirteen of episode one or of season one. It's it's its own standalone story, and it, you could probably not watch it very and still British. get the gist of what yeah. happens. But it's yeah. it gives you an opportunity to create something that is more on its own more you know it's standalone it's sort of like what the season premiere of this was you know like that was an hour long episode ish you know that was that was yeah. that could have very well have been it but they needed to set it yeah they had to set up stuff for the rest of the season but you know that could have come out last whenever in the middle of summer or something and we would have been like oh cool getting ready for the mandalorian season two and setting up a lot of stuff it's not something i need it's just an idea of something i think would be cool because we are yeah. now we're now in the era of star wars television well, and we're also in the era of Mandalorian where they just completely decided that everything about the show that was kind of pitched in terms of like a standalone series about a non-Jedi figure, like it's fully Empire, it's fully Jedi, it's fully First Order, it's tying fully into the every the Skywalker saga. It's not like, it's not exclusive anymore, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's, I said this last time and I still think it's kind of a bummer, but um you got to do what you got to do. You got to make the fans happy. You got to keep them coming back. And <laughs> yeah. I'll, and it's not bad. You know, it's no, not, it's it's not, not a terrible show. It, it's, <laughs> it's not terrible. I would say like... So it, you can't be mad at it uh, for, for not being bad. You can be kind of mad for... It's sort of a cop-out, but, you know, it's fine. Whatever. It's, it's entertainment for children. And we are the big children. <laughs> we are big children. I'm a big fan. This is a sandbox I enjoy. Um, I'm yeah. I'm pretty pleased with it. Like, a lot is happening. I... I like that we're doing it in these chunks because I, I feel like the, the first three work to, to talk about. And I feel like the second three really are a different thing. Um, 
because again, those mm. first three episodes kind of monster of the weekish, all these slow side quests, and there's there's some of that in this, this second set. But it's you know as the epi- as this season goes on, we're getting further and further into the plot, like the actual narrative of what is happening, like what is the reason that the Empire is hunting Grogu, and what is going to happen as a result of that. Like we, it's just sort of been on the edge. Like we know that the the Empire wants it for some reason, and there are these different you know, empire characters that are coming into play, but how do they really like, what is the, the rank and file here? Um, what are the, what are the stakes? What's the purpose? Now we know that right. we got that in, in episode um, 12 or chapter 12. And now, you know, the empire has Grogu. So stakes are high. We know what the stakes are. We know basically what the purpose is. And going into these last two episodes, it's like, what are we actually going to, what's going to happen? Like, <laughs> how are they going to end this season off? Yeah, I have no idea what's going to happen. We just know Bill Burr's coming back, and we know Filoni's doing another episode, the last one? No, he he doesn't, um, Filoni doesn't have any more this season. Oh, bummer. Um, no, the the remaining two are are, are not Dave Filoni. Um, he's, he seems to be tapped out for this season, which makes me wonder again, like, what what's happening with Ahsoka? Was was it really just one, one appearance and, and gone? That would be kind of a shame. Uh, she'll show up in Kenobi. You know it. Ooh. Ooh. I'm right. Okay, anyway, we got to end this episode. Uh, this has been Bantha Fodder. Uh, you can find our show notes at banthafodder.fm slash episode slash 37. And um, that that's really it. That's all I got to say. What do you got to say? I, uh, I got to say, well, that's that's it. That's all we have. Um, went very okay. long on this one. Uh, we got two more episodes coming up. And, uh, and and then that's that. I think that's, that's going to be it for for us for the next seven months and then star wars is over forever have a good one everyone (laughs) see you later no we'll see you next time god my blanket fort is so stupid